This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim mubarak ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. So today is the 9th of the month of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah and we are on the ninth juz of the Quran and this is therefore the ninth session of the reading and commentary of Tafsir al-Jalalain. Uh, one of the things that the scholars of the past used to do when it came to seeking knowledge is that their parents had a great role in encouraging their young children or those scholars as they were young children in pursuing knowledge and in seeking knowledge <coughs> and this is because knowledge is one of those acts of worship that requires stamina and one of the things that we sometimes neglect from the sunnah of the Prophet is how the Prophet would build up stamina in acts of worship and that's seen in various different ways from them is that the Prophet in his night prayer it's reported that he would often start by praying two very quick short rak'ahs and then he would begin his longer qiyam. And from them is that the Prophet would encourage the young companions, sometimes who were praying with him, he would motivate them and encourage them to pray, as is mentioned by Abdullah ibn Abbas anhum in Sahih Bukhari, when he spends the night in the house of his aunt Maymuna radiallahu anha. And the Prophet وسلم, as they're praying together, and his prayer, as we know, was long during the night, the Prophet وسلم, would wipe over his head and he would he would uh, rub his ear to keep him awake and keep him motivated because Ibn Abbas is young at that age. And seeking knowledge requires stamina. And so it is something which is good when our children are at a young age to encourage them to start studying in this way, even if they only sit for half an hour, 45 minutes an hour. But it is something which builds within them that stamina that inshallah ta'ala over that period of time they get used to seeking knowledge. Otherwise, it's very difficult to sit for a long period of time when your body and your mind isn't used to doing so. And it's difficult to sit on the floor, for example, if you're in the masjid, it's difficult to sit for a long period of time uh, on the floor if it's not something which you've been accustomed to doing from a young age. And that's why it's reported that you have, from amongst the senior scholars of Islam, rahmatullah, from the Salaf, that their parents had an amazing role in encouraging them to seek knowledge. And Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, as we know, was born blind. And it was through the du'as of his mother, by the permission of Allah Azza wa Jalla, and then the du'a of his mother, that Allah Azza wa Jalla returned his eyesight so that he could go and study hadith. And that single du'a and that single act of du'a from his mother, because of the aspiration that she had for her son, led him to become, by the permission of Allah, from the greatest scholars of hadith of any time. And Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala, was young when his mother would take him by the hand and walk him to his teacher, just as we often walk our children to school, to nursery, she would walk him to his first, one of his first teachers, Rabi'ah. And she would say to him, go to Rabi'ah and take from his etiquettes before you learn from his knowledge. The mother of Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was a widow, her husband had passed away and they were poor. It was reported that she would sell some of her possessions to enable her son to go and seek knowledge, to go and learn. And so she would go through that extra hardship, that extra effort of making sacrifice. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saw their efforts and their sincerity. And Allah azza wa took what is a meager effort on their part, very small. 
But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses what is small because of the power of the attention that accompanies it. And Imam Ahmad rahimahullah ta'ala when he was a young boy, it is said that his mother would wake up with him and walk him to the masjid so that he could go and pray fajr in the masjid and she would wait outside because she, they, they wouldn't go in, the women, to pray in that masjid. So she would wait outside patiently for him. And someone used to ask her, why do you do this every day? He's a child, doesn't have to come to the masjid. Doesn't have to pray in the masjid, he's only young. She said, because I want him to get used to coming to the masjid so that he can study after Fajr with his teachers. And that is the effort that they put in that then allows their children as they grow up to become those great scholars of Islam. And I already mentioned to you the story of Abdul Awwal ibn Isa al-Sijzi rahimahullah ta'ala when his father would make him carry the two stones as he was walking a very far distance to hear Sahih al-Bukhari from one of his earliest teachers. And then those scholars grow up and Allah Azza wa blesses them for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give a share of that reward to their parents as well. And on the lighter side of parents and imams and scholars, it's reported that Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah ta'ala lived with his elderly mother. And Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah is an amazing example of respect and love that a person should show to their elderly parents despite his status and his knowledge and despite his position and despite the hundreds if not thousands of students that would travel from different parts of the Muslim world to come and study with this great scholar. But Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah ta'ala, his mother, if she would ask, if she had a question, she would ask Abu Hanifa to take her to the local masjid, to the local imam. And that's because Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, despite his knowledge and status, to a mother, he's still Abu Hanifa. He's not Imam Abu Hanifa. And so, despite Imam Abu Hanifa being at the peak of his knowledge, and the peak of his fame during that time, and the peak of teaching students who are coming from across the world, it's reported that one day his mother asked him a question. And so he answered it. And she said, I don't want your answer. I want the answer of Alqama, Al-Qas. And Alqama, this man, some of the commentators say he was the imam of the local masjid. And others say that he was a storyteller, akin to someone in our time who just gives iman boosters. Not just, but he's someone who gives iman boosters. Not a person who is known for their depth of knowledge and to understand the different issues of fiqh and hadith and the nuances of the Islamic disciplines. He's someone who tells stories and he boosts the iman of the people. And because she was impressed by his storytelling and by his sermons and by his reminders, she thought him to be someone of knowledge. So Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah would take his mother and place him on, on his horse or his camel and he would take the reins and he would walk with her to the house of this man and he would knock on the door and wait patiently as a student would do with the teacher. And when Alqama would come out and he would see Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah and his mother, he would say to him, what brings you to my house, O Imam? And he would say to him, my mother has a question for you. And Alqama would be embarrassed that Imam Abu Hanifa is standing before him and his mother has a question for Alqama. So he would ask, what is your question? And she would ask the question. And Alqama would look at Abu Hanifa, what's the answer? And Abu Hanifa would give him the answer, or he would signal to him the answer. And the man, Alqama, would reply to his mother. And that is a testament of how knowledge, when it's taken, inshallah, from a young age, not only helps a person in terms of seeking that knowledge, but inshallah, it benefits them in their character and in their dealings and in the way that they are with those who are around them that have rights upon them. So yesterday I asked the question um, from Surah Al-A'raf in the story of Musa والسلام, that when Allah describes the staff of Musa turning into a snake, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes it as being thu'ban, 
But elsewhere in the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jalla, when He describes this, the staff turning into a snake, He uses the word Hayya. And yet, otherwise in the Quran, or elsewhere in the Quran, like in Surah Al Qasas, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, when He speaks about the staff turning into a snake, He refers to it as Jan. And all three of them mean snake. They are all referring to the same incident, the same story, at the same time, the same occurrence. But Allah changes the wording. And there is a slight difference and nuance in meaning. The word hayya means snake. And it is a general term for snake, any type of snake. But the word fu'ban refers to a large snake, a big snake, referring to its size. And the word Jan refers to as a Zarqashi and Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiqi rahmatullah and others said Al-Jan refers to a small, very fast snake. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by using these three different terms shows to us not only that he was given the Prophet Musa salam a miracle but it was an amazing miracle. That, this, that the snake, that, that, that his staff that turned into a snake was a large snake. But despite its size, it was extremely quick and agile. And that is from completing the miracle that Allah Azza wa gave to him. And the reason that I'm mentioning this is because often in translations, they're all just translated as snake, which is correct. But it doesn't give you the precise and specific meaning, which shows you the importance of, number one, learning the Arabic language, but more importantly than that, because even knowing Arabic may not necessarily give you the benefit of understanding those nuances, the importance of going back to the works of tafsir and seeing where you see those slight nuances in the Arabic words, what it is that it's, that's being referred to. And it often gives you an added meaning to those verses that Allah Azza wa Jal is mentioning. And some of the translators will try to go to uh, the extra length and say, for example, Thu'ban is a large snake and Jan is a small snake. They try sometimes to do that and I think that that is something which is which they should be thanked for. So, inshallah ta'ala, today we're continuing with the reading of Surah Al-A'raf. Yesterday we finished at the verse 186, so today inshallah ta'ala we begin with verse 187. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Allahumma fir li shaykhina wa li walidina wa li jami'i muslimin. Amma ba'd, faqad qala al-musallifu rahimahullahu ta'ala fi tafsiri qawlihi ta'ala أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يسألونك عن الساعة أيان مرساها They, meaning the people of مكة, will ask you about the hour, meaning the day of resurrection. When is it due? قل إنما علمها عند ربي Say to them, knowledge of it, and when it will occur, rests with my Lord alone. لا يجليها لوقتها إلا هو he alone will reveal it at its proper time. ثَقُلَتْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ It hangs heavy for many people in the heavens and the earth. Because of the terror, it inspires. لَا تَأْتِيكُمْ إِلَّا It will not come upon you except suddenly. يَسْأَلُونَكَ كَأَنَّكَ حَفِيٌّ عَنْهَا They will ask you insistently as if you had full knowledge of it. قُلْ إِنَّمَا عِلْمُهَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Say, knowledge of it rests with Allah alone. But most people do not know that. This verse, verse 187 then, yesterday we mentioned in Surah Al-A'raf that it is a surah 
that focuses heavily on the stories of the prophets and the different prophets that Allah Azza wa Jal sent to the various nations. And Allah Azza wa Jal in this story, or in this surah rather, focuses on those prophets that, uh, that faced rejection from their people. And those prophets who faced rebellion from their people and those who faced some form of oppression from them. And so Allah Azza wa Jal yesterday after mentioning the story of Adam السلام, mentioned to us the story of Nuh and Hud and Salih and Lut and Shu'ib. And then Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned to us the story of Musa والسلام. And now we're in the final passage of this surah. And now Allah Azza wa Jal is turning to the Quraysh and the way that they behave and the way that they react. And from the, the, the things that they demanded from their Prophet ﷺ, from our Prophet ﷺ, is the knowledge of the, of the unseen of the hour. When will the hour occur? As if by knowing when Yawm Al-Qiyamah would come, they could then, just before it, prepare for it. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us very clearly in this verse, as he does elsewhere in the Qur'an, that that is from the knowledge that Allah has kept with himself. Not even the Prophet ﷺ, nor any angel, nor any other creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has this knowledge. It is something which Allah Azza wa has kept to himself. And we mentioned previously the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the five things that Allah Azza wa kept with himself as knowledge, as is mentioned in the verse of the Quran, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ And from those five is that Allah retains the knowledge of when the hour will occur. But instead what Allah Azza wa has done for us is that he has given us signs as will be mentioned in Surah Muhammad that Allah Azza wa has given us signs showing the closeness of Yawm Al-Qiyamah but then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says لا تأتيكم إلا بغتا but when it comes it will come suddenly meaning that no one will be expecting it especially those people of that time because as the Prophet told us وسلم, that the hour will be established upon the worst of people they will be the worst of Allah's creation that are living at that time, that are alive when the trumpet is blown upon them and the hour is established. Yeah. Say, I possess no power to bring help or avert harm from myself except as Allah wills. وَلَوْ كُنْتُ أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبَ لَاسْتَكْثَرْتُ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ وَمَا if I had had knowledge of the unseen, which is invisible to me, I would have sought to gain much good. And no evil, such as poverty and other things, would have touched me. And I would have been careful to avoid harmful things. I am only a warner about the fire for the unbelievers, and a bringer of good news of the garden to people who believe. Verse 188 is a verse that is very explicit concerning the fact that the Prophet does not know the unseen. And some Muslims hold this belief that the Prophet ﷺ knows the unseen. He knows or he can control some good for us or some harm for us. Or he can bring us some blessing or grant us some, a child for example or grant us an increase in wealth. And that is a false belief about the Prophet ﷺ. Because the Prophet ﷺ does not control those affairs nor does he know the unseen And that's why Allah says in this verse, وَلَوْ كُنْتُ أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبِ if I knew the unseen, then I would have increased in much good. And no evil would have touched me. 
So the Prophet would have known the many plots and plans of, Shay- of, of, of the Quraysh. He would have known, for example, that Uhud, 70 of his companions would have been martyred, including his own uncle Hamza radiallahu He would have known that his wife Khadija radiallahu anha was going to pass away. He would have known what was going to happen with his uncle Abu Talib. He would have known at every turn and every twist of his life what was going to happen and how to avert the harm then that is before him and turn it into some good. But the fact that he went through those challenges himself with all that difficulty and all the hardship and all the trials and tests that he faced him and the companions <coughs> is a proof that he didn't know those affairs as Allah Azza wa explicitly mentions in this verse. <laughs> Tis he, meaning Allah, who created you from a single soul, meaning Adam, and made from him his spouse, meaning Hawa, so that he might find repose in her and friendship with her. Then when he covered her and had sexual intercourse with her, she bore a light load, meaning the fetus, and carried it around, moving around normally since it was light. Then when it became heavy, meaning when the child grew in her, in her womb, and they feared that it might be an animal, they called on Allah, their Lord, if you grant us a healthy child, we will be among the thankful to you for it. In verse 189, this is now going back to the story of Adam and his wife Hawa alayhim salatu wassalam. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, فَلَمَّا أَثْقَلَتْ Then when it became heavy, meaning as she was pregnant and her child grew within her to a larger size, they feared that it might be an animal. And this is some of the statements of the scholars of Tafsir. And others said they feared that it might be a fully grown human, meaning that this was the first time that she's experiencing this. And so she became afraid. دَعَوَ اللَّهَ رَبَّهُمَا They turned to their Lord and they made dua. لَإِنْ آتِيْتَنَا صَالِحًا if you grant us, not a healthy child, that is a mistranslation, a righteous child. The word salih refers to righteousness. لَإِنْ آتِيْتَنَا صَالِحًا If you were to grant us, O oh Allah, if you grant us a righteous child, we will be amongst those who are thankful for it. And that's why you will find in the Qur'an, whether in this verse or generally in the verses in which this, the, um, the prophets of Allah ask for children, they don't use the word healthy. And they don't ask Allah for necessarily healthy children. But the word that they use is righteous or tayyib, which means pure. Right? And so that is something which the a word that within it implies that there will be, uh, inshallah, a healthy child. But that is not the priority. The priority is that they are righteous and people who are pure, meaning in their worship of Allah and in their sincerity. Because how many healthy children turn away from the path of Allah and how many children are born with a, 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 an impairment or some type of disability but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places them into a high position. And uh, from the stories that I heard about Shaykh Ibn Baz rahimahullah ta'ala which also goes to show what I mentioned at the beginning of uh, today's lesson. I heard from one of his students that when Shaykh bin Baz ta'ala, was very young and he was losing his eyesight because the Shaykh wasn't born blind but he lost his eyesight at a relatively young age. He said that someone came to visit his mother one day and his mother was extremely upset and very uh, in, in a very hard state. 
And so this lady that came to visit her, as she was drinking tea with her, or the tea was being poured for her, she asked the mother of Sheikh Mibaz, why are you so upset? She said, I'm worried about my son. Referring to the Sheikh, and this is before the Sheikh is the Sheikh, and before he becomes a well-known scholar. I'm worried about him because he's losing his eyesight. The woman who was a guest in the house, she put down her cup of tea before drinking. And she said that I'm not going to touch this tea until you get up and you pray two rakats. And you ask Allah Azza wa that if Allah takes away his eyesight, that Allah replaces it with insight. If he takes away his basar, his eyesight, he gives him basira, which means insight and knowledge. So his mother got up and she prayed her two rakats and she made this dua. And perhaps that is from the du'as that Allah Azza wa accepted. That the Shaykh became from the greatest scholars of his generation. And that's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how many healthy children are there that turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And how many are there that are not so healthy in terms of what we consider to be healthy? But Allah Azza wa Jal has blessed them with righteousness. Then, when he granted them a healthy, upright child, they associated others, read as shuraka and also shirkan, in which case the meaning becomes, they associated what he had given them with him, by naming him Abdul Harith. No one should be a slave to anyone other than Allah. This was not idolatry in respect of worship because Adam was protected from that. Some are related that the Prophet ﷺ said, every time Hawa gave birth, Iblis visited her, and no child of hers lived. Iblis told her, name him Abdul Harith, and he will live. She named him that, and he lived. That was from the inspiration and command of Shaytan. Al-Hakim related this and described it as sand. Al-Tirmidhi related it and said it, and said it is Hassan Gharib. For Allah is far above what, meaning the idols, they, the people of Mecca, associate with him. Verse 190 is a, um, a confusing verse. If you take it on the apparent meaning that Imam Ta'ala has given a tafsir of. And that is because what it seems to be saying, because in the previous verse 189 was speaking about Adam and his wife Hawa والسلام, and they asked Allah to give them a healthy child or a righteous child rather and Allah grants them a righteous child in 190 and then what does Allah say? They make shirk. فَتَعَالَ اللَّهُ عَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ And Allah is free of the shirk that they made. And that's based upon this narration which is a very common and popular narration in the books of Tafsir. And that is that Every time Hawa would become pregnant, she would miscarry. And no child of hers would be born. And that's because she would name them after Allah, Abdullah, Abdurrahman, whatever else. And so Shaytan Iblis came to her one day and said to her that you will have no child until you name it with a different name. She asked, what name? So he said, Abdul Harith. And Al Harith is not from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Call him servant of Al Harith. So she did so. Not because she made shirk or she believed in this, but because, according to this narration, she wanted this child, and then the child was born. And as the author Ta'ala says, this is a narration that is found in Al-Hakim and in Al-Tirmidhi. And it is a weak narration. It is not an authentic narration. Nor is the tafsir that has been given by Imam Al-Suyuti, the strongest of the opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir, even though it may be one of the more popular opinions and the more common ones concerning this verse. The other opinion, as mentioned by Al-Hassan and Qatada, Al-Hassan al-Basri Qatada, from the early scholars of the Salaf, and the one that was chosen by Ibn Kathir, and Sheikh al-Sa'di, and Muhammad al-Amin al-Shawqiti, is that the 
verse and the context switches from 189 to 190. 189 is about Adam and Hawa, alayhim salam but 190 is concerning the children of Adam, meaning from his descendants and from his offspring, are those who are granted healthy children, those who are granted children who are uh, upright, and they turn and they make shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is therefore the stronger opinion amongst tafsir, because it is not befitting of a Prophet of Allah Azza wa Jal that he would make that type of shirk, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. But it is something which, as the scholars of tafsir mentioned, and Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, greatly supported this view, that the verse 190 speaks about his children. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about Adam first, and then it changes to Adam's children. Then when he granted them, the them now is referring to the husbands and wives from the children of Adam alayhi salatu wassalam, meaning from his offspring and from his progeny now. Do they make things into partner gods in their worship which cannot create anything and are themselves created? Which are not capable of helping them, meaning their worshippers, and cannot even help themselves, meaning defend themselves if someone wishes to harm them by breaking them or in some other way. The question is meant as a rebuke. If you call them, meaning the idols, to guidance, they will not follow you. Read as, يَتَّبِعُوكُمْ and يَتْبَعُوكُمْ سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْكُمْ أَدَعَوْتُمُوهُمْ أَمْ أَنْتُمْ صَامِتُونَ It makes no difference if you call them to guidance or stay silent and do not call them, because they cannot hear you. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِنْ those you call on and worship besides Allah are slaves just like yourselves. Call on them and let them respond to you, meaning to your call, if you are telling the truth about them being gods. Then Allah explains the extent of their powerlessness and the fact that their worshippers are in fact superior to them by saying, do they have legs they can walk with? Do they have hands they can grasp with? Do they have eyes they can see with? Do they have ears they can hear with? The answer to all of these questions will be negative. They have none of these things which you have. So how can you worship them when you are more complete than they are? Say to them, Muhammad وسلم, Call on your partner gods to destroy me and try all your wiles against me and grant me no reprieve. I do not care what you do. My protector, meaning who is in charge of my affairs, is Allah, who sent down the book, meaning the Quran. He takes care of the righteous and protects them. Those you call on besides him are not capable of helping you. They cannot even help themselves. So why should anyone care about them? If you call them, meaning the idols to guidance, they do not hear. وَتَرَاهُمْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَيْكَ وَهُمْ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ 
you see them, meaning the idols, looking at you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yet they do not see. Make allowances for people, meaning be tolerant about people's behavior and do not delve into it. Command what is right and turn away from the ignorant. Do not confront them on account of their foolishness. This verse 199, Al-Imam Ta'ala, he says in his commentary, make allowances for people, meaning be tolerant about their behavior and do not delve into it. And this is taken from narration of Sahih Bukhari, as I said often, Imam Sutra because of his wealth of knowledge of the narrations of hadith will bring it within his, uh, his commentary without necessarily saying that it is a hadith, but it is taken from the hadith or the narration of Abdullah ibn Zubair that he said in the commentary of this verse خُذِ الْعَفْوَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ he said, be, make allowances for people in their character, in their behavior, in their nature because as we know, people are of different behaviors, have different natures, have different temperaments, have different characters, are of different makeups and consist of different uh, characteristics. And therefore, the only way that we can become brothers and sisters and friends and family members and relatives and neighbors and so on and so forth is if we're willing to understand that someone may have a different personality to ourselves. Some people are easygoing, some people not so much, some people more patient, some people less so, some people have different senses of humor and so on and so forth. And so to understand those nuances is the way that our society then comes together and works. And for what is also mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari in this regard is the story of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu when he was the Khalifa of the Muslims. And there was a man by the name of Uyayna ibn Hisr who was, uh, who was in Medina. And he had a guest come to him, a man by the name of Al-Hur ibn Qais. And Al-Hur ibn Qais came and he visited Uyayna. And he said to Uyayna that if only you would one day introduce me to the leader of the Muslims. I've come all this distance and I would like to go and meet Umar radiallahu anhu. And who wouldn't want to meet Umar radiallahu anhu? So Uyayna is thinking that he just genuinely wants to go and give salams to the Khalifa and you know become give have the opportunity to give salams to this illustrious companion radiallahu But when he introduces Al-Hur to Umar radiallahu Al-Hur has his own agenda and he starts to complain of his poverty and how Umar isn't fair in the way that he distributes wealth and how Umar isn't doing a good job in terms of governing the Muslim lands and how Umar isn't doing a good job as a Khalifa. And so Umar radiallahu anhu becomes extremely angry with him. And Uyayna, knowing and understanding who Umar is and who he was, radiallahu anhu, he became afraid for Al-Hur. So he said, O oh, Umar, O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, O oh, leader of the Muslims, ignore this man. For he is, as Allah says, Make allowances for people, order, command what is good, and turn away from the ignorant. And this man is from the ignorant. And Umar his anger dissipated. And he calmed down, and he allowed the man to leave. And the companions used to say, commenting on this and other incidents, that Umar Umar was a man who if he heard a verse of the Qur'an, he would stop there. If the Qur'an said something, he wouldn't go beyond it as is clearly demonstrated in this story. If an evil impulse from shaitan provokes you, meaning if he tries to divert you from what you are commanded to do, seek refuge in Allah. Allah will repel him from you. 
He is all hearing of words, all seeing of actions. And verse number 200 is a very important principle that one of the easiest, one of the most effective ways of fleeing from shaitan's whisperings and temptations is by making the isti'adha. It is from the benefits of saying, A'udhu Billahi Rajim. To turn away from shaitan by seeking refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah is all hearing and will see. And that's why in some of the wordings of isti'adha, we have A'udhu Billahi Sami'il Alimi Min Shaitan Rajim based upon this verse. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْا إِذَا مَسَّهُمْ طَائِفٌ مِّنَ الشَّيْطَانِ تَذَكَّرُوا فَإِذَا هُمْ مُبْصِرُونَ As for those who are God-fearing, when they are bothered by visitors, read as ba'if and ba'if, in which case the meaning becomes something which pains them from shaytan, they remember the punishment and the reward of Allah, and immediately see the truth clearly for what it really is. And so they return to right action. And that is from the benefits of taqwa. When you turn to Allah Azza wa Jal and you seek refuge in shaitan, even when shaitan comes and he makes you slip up or he makes you sin or he takes you to on the path of disobedience, the believer is the one who remembers and is reminded and therefore turns back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But as for the brothers, meaning the shaitans among the unbelievers, the visitors, shaitans lead them further into error. And they do not stop at that. They continue in their error because they do not see what they are doing in the way that the God-fearing do. وَإِذَا لَمْ تَأْتِهِمْ بِآيَةٍ قَالُوا لَهُ لَجْتَبَيْتَهَا If you do not bring them, meaning the people of Mecca a sign, which they demand, they say, why have you not come up with one by yourself? قُلْ إِنَّمَا أَتَّبِعُ مَا يُوحَى إِلَيَّ مِنْ رَبِّهِ Say, I follow only what has been revealed to me from my Lord. I cannot bring anything from myself. This, meaning Qur'an, is clear insight from your Lord and guidance and mercy for people who believe. When the Qur'an is recited, listen to it and be quiet and do not speak so that perhaps you will gain mercy. This was revealed about not speaking during the khutbah. It is referred to as the Qur'an since the khutbah contains passages from the Qur'an. It is also said that it refers to recitation of the Qur'an in general. In verse 204, <coughs> uh, Imam Masood Ta'ala is mentioning the statement of Mujahid. This is the opinion of Mujahid Rahimahullah that this verse was referring to the khutbah al-Jumu'ah, the Friday sermon. That as the Qur'an is being recited, then you should pay attention to it. And in the hadith, the Prophet said concerning the salah, that when the Imam, as is in Sahih Muslim, when the Imam is reciting, then pay attention to it, meaning concentrate on what he is reciting. So this is a general verse, as he alludes to at the end of his commentary, ta'ala, that the verse is general. As the Quran is generally being recited, it is from the etiquette of listening to the Quran, meaning that if you are there for the purpose of listening to the Quran, so not if someone has it on in their car, and that's not something which you necessarily were going to listen to, unless you're the one who puts it on. Or if you go by someone's house or a shop, for example, sometimes in Saudi Arabia, Mecca and Medina, they have Quran playing. That's not something which you intend to listen to. But if it's a place where you intend to go to listen to the Quran, or you're reciting the Quran, or you're the one who started the recitation of the Quran on, for example, YouTube or somewhere else, then you should pay attention to it. And it is even more so the case then in Salah 
and in the khutbah al-jumu'ah because of the additional ahadith that speak about the importance of paying attention in those acts of worship. وَاذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ فِي نَفْسِكَ تَضَرُّعًا وَخِيفَةً وَدُونَ الْجَهْرِ مِنَ الْقَوْلِ بِالْغُدُوِّ وَالْآصَالِ Remember your Lord in yourself, meaning silently, humbly and fearfully, at a whisper, without loudness of voice, meaning at a medium volume, morning and evening, at the beginning and end of the day. وَلَا تَكُمْ مِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ Do not be one of the unaware who are neglectful of remembrance. And this verse, verse 205, Allah Azza wa gives us some etiquettes of how to call upon him and make dua. And that is that it is not from the sunnah that you raise your voice loud as if you are shouting. Nor is it from the sunnah that you, and this is when you're making dua by yourself and you're not disturbing other people, obviously, you don't make dua so quietly that you can barely hear your own self that it's a whisper. But rather, you make dua in a normal voice, at a normal tone. And that's because in the hadith of Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu anhu Bukhari al-Muslim, the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O people, be gentle with yourselves. For you are not calling upon one who is deaf or absent, but rather you are calling upon the one who is close and all hearing. And that's because sometimes the companions would raise their voice very loud. And at other times, they would, if they were in, for example, prayer and one of them is making dua, they would make it so quietly that the people behind them couldn't hear. Allah Azza wa is saying, keep a medium level of tone. And this will be mentioned in other verses of the Qur'an, such as towards the end of Surah Al-Isra. <laughs> Those who are in the presence of your Lord, meaning the angels, do not consider themselves too great or proud to worship Him. They glorify his praise, declaring him above anything that is not appropriate for him, and they prostrate to him. They single him out with their humility and worship, so be like them. And this is the final verse of Surah Al-A'raf, and as you know, if you have a Mus'haf in front of you, this is the first sajda of the Qur'an. The sajda of Tilawa, which is certain verses of the Qur'an, when you read them, you are commanded to prostrate, and it is highly recommended to do so. And that is when you are either reciting the Qur'an yourself or you are hearing its recitation and you are actively listening to it. But it's not necessarily the case, for example, in a setting like this where we're studying. Or for example, someone who's memorizing the Qur'an and is likely to repeat that verse multiple times. But it is the sunnah in those other cases to make the sajda. And the Prophet said that when the son of Adam makes sajda, meaning for these verses of the Qur'an in which there is a command to prostrate, then shaitan becomes upset and he says that I was commanded to prostrate and I refuse to do so. And the child of Adam is commanded to do so and he does so. Yeah. Surah Al-Anfal, Beauty. A Medina surah except for ayat 3 to 36, which are Mecca. It has 85, 86 or 87 ayat and it was revealed after Surah Al-Baqarah. So Surah Al-Anfal <coughs> is the next surah of the Qur'an. And... Al-Anfal, as, as uh, has been translated here, refers to war beauty. War beauty. This is a Medinan surah according to the majority of the scholars, Ibn Kathir, Ibn Atiyah, Al-Qurtubi, alayhi rahmatullah, although there are narrations from some of the salaf that some of its verses are Meccan. But generally speaking, it is a Madani surah. And that's what the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, or the, rather the, the, yeah, the, the commentator, Siyut, rahimahullah, refers to. There's some errors here, though, in the translation some typos or some errors. The first of them is a Medinan surah except for ayahs 3 to 36. And what is 
actually being said is 30 to 36. Verses 30 to 36. Those are the exceptions that are mentioned by some of the scholars. And I think that is a typo, which they say are Mecca. And there is 85, 86 or 87 verses that it's also a typo because uh, this surah has 75 verses. So what a Suti says is that it has either 75, 76 or 77. So both of those need to be corrected. And in the numbering of the Mus'haf that we have, there are 75 verses in Suratul Anfal. This surah has another name that it is known by, as mentioned by uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas عنهما, and it is mentioned in, uh, in in Al-Bukhari that he said this and that is that it is known as Suratul Badr the Surah of the Battle of Badr and that's because just as we said about Surah Al-Imran that it is the Surah that has a portion of it dedicated to the Battle of Uhud then Suratul Anfal is the Surah of the Quran that is dedicated to the Battle of Badr When the Muslims disagreed about the booty of Badr, the young men said, it is for us because we directly participated in the fighting. The older men said, we were a cloak for you under the banners. If we had been exposed, we would have joined you in the fighting, and so you should not be preferred in respect of it. Then this was revealed. And this is the statement or the narration that is mentioned, collected by At-Tirmidhi and Al-Hakim. And because the first verse says, yes, Alunaka, they ask you. Who's asking? Why are they asking? That's why the author begins with this narration. And it is an authentic narration. And that is that in the Battle of Badr, the younger companions wanted their share of the booty and they claimed a larger share. And the older, more senior warriors and companions of the Prophet said, you were free to go and take the war booty because we were protecting you. We were the ones who were doing the harder work, making sure that the enemy doesn't return. We were the ones that were given the most important roles in the battle. And so you were free then, once you had done your role, to take from the war battle. And that's what they're referring to. We were a cloak for you under the banners. Meaning that had we left our post, you would have been exposed. And you wouldn't have been had the luxury of being able to go and take the war beauty that was left on the battlefield. And so they disagreed. And so they took this back to the Prophet wasallam, and that's when Allah Azza wa Jal then revealed, revealed this first verse. They asked you concerning the Anfal. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Yes, Anfal. They will ask you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, about booty. Say, booty belongs to Allah, will assign it wherever He wills. And the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, will divide it equally between them, as is related by Al-Hakim in Al-Mustadrak. So be fearful of Allah and put things right between you, by loving one another and abandoning conflict. Obey Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if you are true believers. And so therefore the Prophet sallam rules. This is the ruling of Allah azza wa jal. That the, this war booty belongs to Allah and it belongs to His Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They will divide it as they please. And the, the narration that he says as rated by Al-Hakim is the narration that we mentioned at the beginning. And it's collected by Al-Hakim and Al-Tirmidhi and it is authentic. Yeah. <laughs> the believers who have complete faith are those whose hearts tremble with fear when Allah's threat is mentioned. وَإِذَا تُلِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُهُ زَادَتْهُمْ إِيمَانًا Whose belief is increased by affirming their truth when his signs are recited to them. 
and who put their trust in their Lord alone, fearing no one else. Verse number two has one of the clearest proofs from the Quran that Iman is something which increases and decreases. Their belief will be increased by the recitation of the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being read to them. And this is in opposition to those Muslim groups and sects that said that Iman doesn't increase, doesn't decrease. So once you have Iman, even if you commit a major sin, doesn't decrease in any way. And once you have the base of Iman, even if you do the most amazing act of worship, like complete your Hajj or something else, or Ramadan, then it doesn't increase your Iman. It's always stable. And that is not correct. But as we know, and as we can all individually vouch for within our own situation, there are periods when our Iman feels high, and there are periods when our Iman feels low. And that is the Aqeedah of Sunnah and Jama'ah. That is supported by a number of verses of the Qur'an and a number of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. الَّذِينَ يُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ Those who establish the prayer with all the duties which it entails and give of what we have provided for them in obedience to Allah. أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ حَقَّا They, meaning the people of this description, are in truth the believers without any doubt. لَهُمْ دَرَجَاتٌ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ وَمَغْفِرَةٌ وَرِزْقٌ كَرِيمٌ they have high ranks, meaning degrees in the garden, with their Lord and forgiveness and generous provision in the garden. Just as your Lord brought you out from your house with truth, even though a group of the believers disliked it. This phrase is adverbial, describing how they went out and their state of disliking to do so. If they are brought out while disliking it, it is better for them. That is because Abu Sufyan brought a caravan from Syria and the Prophet ﷺ and his companions went out to loot it. The Quraysh learned about that and Abu Jahl and fighters from Mecca set out to defend him in a group. Abu Sufyan took the caravan by the coastal road and escaped. Abu Jahl was told to return but he refused. In verse number 5, as you can see then from the very beginning of this surah more or less, Allah delves into the story of the Battle of Badr. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the situation of the believers who they were leaving and they disliked to leave, meaning that they didn't want to engage in war. That wasn't the purpose of the original reason why the Muslims came out. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam learned that Abu Sufyan was returning from Asham. And as we said, Asham isn't just Syria, it is the wider region around it. He was returning with a trade caravan all the way back to Mecca. The Prophet sallallahu heard about this, so he arranged for the army of the Muslims to go out to intercept the caravan. And the caravan is lightly defended, doesn't have soldiers, doesn't have armory, doesn't have cavalry with it. It is lightly defended. So the idea isn't to engage in all-out war and battle and fighting. It is to go and raid the caravan and take back the wealth that was, that was unjustly taken from the Muslims as they migrated from Mecca to Medina. That was the reason behind it. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ left out. But Allah Azzawajal, as he will mention, he had a different plan for them. And that is that Abu Sufyan hears through his scouts, because Abu Sufyan is an extremely intelligent and wise man. He has scouts who are looking out for trouble. One of them comes back and says, these Muslims are getting ready with a big army and they're coming. So Abu Sufyan does two things. Number one is he sends a message to Quraysh saying, your wealth is under threat. Come and save your wealth. Otherwise it's lost. And the second thing he does is he changes route. He takes a different route. And so he can bypass where the Muslims think that he will be traveling. And Abu Sufyan does this successfully. And that's why Abu Sufyan isn't present in the Battle of Badr. 
he escapes the Muslims by taking a different route, and his message reaches Quraysh, and Quraysh reach, they become angry, and they're insistent that how can these people dare to come and try to attack our caravan? They prepare their massive army, they set out, and they go towards the, where they think that the Muslims will be. Abu Sufyan has escaped, so he sends a message to the Quraysh army. It's okay, you can go back, we're saved, and your wealth is safe, and let's go back home. Abu Jahan says, no, we didn't come for no reason. We're here, and we're going to teach these people a lesson, because otherwise, they'll do it again and again. And that is how the battle takes place, and they meet in, as we know, a place called Badr. And so Allah is saying that there were believers who disliked the meaning because they, this wasn't the purpose of them coming out. And they were clearly and understandably afraid of going into that situation where they are fighting these Quraysh people. Argue with you about the truth, meaning the obligation to fight after it had been made clear. It's appearing as though they were being driven to their death with open eyes in spite of their dislike for it. Remember when Allah promised you that one of the two parties, either the caravan or the Meccan army, would be yours. And you would have liked it to have been the, the unarmed one, without force and weaponry, the caravan which had far fewer defenders. Whereas Allah desired to, do, to verify the truth by His words, His preordainment of the victory of Islam to cut off the last remnant of the unbelievers through his command to fight the army. This was so that he might verify the truth and nullify the false, meaning unbelief, even though the evildoers, meaning the idolaters, hate that. So Allah had a different plan to what the Muslims intended and what they thought would take place. And Allah says that they would have preferred the option of attacking the caravan would have been less risky, less dangerous, less likely to result in loss of wealth and, and people and life and so on. But Allah Azza had a greater plan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to establish the supremacy of his religion and to make the Muslims a force to be reckoned with and to make the Quraysh think twice the next time they would think of harming the Muslims and to let the Arabs generally in Arabia know that the Muslims were not a force to be trifled with. Remember when you called out on your Lord for help meaning asking him to rescue you by giving you assistance against them. And he responded to you, I will reinforce you with a thousand angels, riding, riding rank after rank. The angels came line after line as promised at first. There were 3,000 and then 5,000 as recorded in Surah Al-Imran. And this is something which we mentioned in Surah Al-Imran, that Allah Azza wa Jal here mentions there were a thousand angels that came to aid the Muslims in Surah Al-Imran. He says there were three, and then there were five. And so, as we said, the way that those are reconciled is you have two approaches. Number one is that they were a thousand, then Allah increased them to three thousand, then Allah increased them to five thousand. And the other view amongst the scholars of tafsir is that the word murdifin, or more, even more eloquent than that, the qira'ah of nafi' which is murdifin, which isn't mentioned here by the translators, is that it means group after group, meaning rank after rank. 
So Allah is not saying that He sent 1,000, then 3, then 5. Allah is saying He sent 1,000 at a time, meaning a group after a group after a group. So there were 3,000 and then Allah increased them to 5. وَمَا جَعَلَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بُشْرَى وَلِتَقْمَئِنَّ بِهِ قُلُوبُكُمْ Allah only did this, meaning informed you of these angelic reinforcements to give you good news, and that's so your hearts would be at rest. Victory comes from no one but Allah. Allah is Almighty, all wise. And remember when He overcame you with sleep. Making you feel secure from the fear you had been feeling and sent you down water from heaven to purify you from minor and major impurities. And remove the taint of shaitan from you and his whispering to you when he whispered, if you were in the right, you would not be thirsty and in a state of impurity when the idolaters have access to water. And to fortify your hearts with certainty and steadfastness and make your feet firm, preventing them from slipping in the sand. And what is mentioned in this regard is that Allah, the Prophet when he first arrived at Badr, he arrived before the Quraysh army and he pitched up his tent and he started to set camp. So one of the companions asked him, O Messenger of Allah, did you choose this location because of revelation or is this just your personal opinion? The Prophet said, it's my personal opinion. So the companion said, O Messenger of Allah, I think we should go and take the watering holes of Badr. And that's where we should set camp, so that when the Quraysh come, they're restricted from water. And so that's what the Prophet did. And this statement that you have here of the rain, of, of if you were in the right, you would not be thirsty and so on, it is mentioned as a statement of Qatada and al dahaq and others from the scholars of Tafsir. But it is, as Allah says, that from the mercy that He sent to the believers on that day is that rain descended upon them. <coughs> and when your Lord revealed to the angels who reinforced the Muslims, I am with you, with help and support. So make those who believe firm through the help and good news you bring. I will cast terror, meaning extreme fear, into the hearts of those who disbelieve. So strike their necks, meaning behead them, and strike all their finger joints, cutting off their fingers and toes. It happened that a man would go to strike at the neck of an unbeliever, and his head would fall off before his sword was able to get there. The Prophet ﷺ threw a head full of pebbles, and there was not a single unbeliever whose eyes were not directly affected by it, and they were completely routed. And this uh, narration, the first part that he mentions about the man's head falling off, Allah Azza wa knows best. I didn't come across that and Allah knows best. But the second one of the Prophet wasallam throwing a handful of dust is mentioned explicitly in the Quran. It will be mentioned in verse 17 of the surah in a few verses time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is an authentic narration in Qatlin al-Tabarani, that the Prophet wasallam at the beginning of the battle, he took dust from the ground and he threw it at them. And he said to them, Shahatil wujuh may your faces become ugly or may they be changed and it affected them the, the dust Allah caused it to go into their eyes and to affect their vision this punishment was visited on them because they were hostile to and fought against Allah and his messenger 
ومن يشاقق الله ورسوله فإن الله شديد العقاب If anyone is hostile to Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allah is severe in retribution to him ذَلِكُمْ فَذُوقُوهُ That punishment is your reward in this world So taste it وَأَنَّ لِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابَ النَّارِ The unbelievers will also have the punishment of the fire in the next world يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا لَقِيْتُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا زَحْفًا فَلَا تُوَلُّوهُمُ الْأَدَبَارِ You who believe, when you encounter those who disbelieve, advancing in mass ranks because of their great number into battle, do not turn your backs on them. وَمَنْ يُوَلِّهِمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ دُبُرَهُ إِلَّا مُتَحَرِّفًا لِقِتَالٍ أَوْ مُتَحَيِّزًا إِلَى فِئَةٍ فَقَدْ بَاءَ بِغَضَبٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ Anyone who turns his back on them that day, meaning a day of battle, unless he is withdrawing as a ruse with the appearance of flight, but really intending to rejoin the fight, or withdrawing to join another group of Muslims in order to reinforce them, brings Allah's anger down upon himself. His refuge is hell. What an evil destination. You did not kill them at Badr through your own strength. It was Allah who killed them by His helping you. وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَا And you did not throw Muhammad when you threw the pebbles into the eyes of the enemy because no handful of pebbles thrown by a human being would be able to reach the eyes of every soldier in a large army. It was Allah who threw by making that handful reach its target causing the overthrow of the unbelievers. وَلِيُبَلِيَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ مِنْهُ بَلَاءً حَسَنًا so he might test the believers with this excellent trial from him, meaning the gift of the beauty. Allah is all hearing of what they say, all knowing of their states. So verse 17 then is, as we mentioned, the narration of At-Tabarani, of the Prophet ﷺ throwing those pebbles, Allah Azza wa now mentions it explicitly. That is your reward. Allah always confounds the schemes of the unbelievers by making them ineffectual. If it was a decisive victory you were looking for, unbelievers, when Abu Jahl said, Oh Allah, destroy tomorrow the one of us who breaks, breaks ties of kinship more and brings us what we do not recognize, that victory has clearly been won, resulting in the destruction as for by Abu Jahl, except that it was him and those with him who were killed, rather than the Prophet وسلم, and the believers. If you, if you desist from unbelief and war, it will be better for you. But if you return to fighting the Prophet ﷺ, we also will return by supporting him against you. Your troops will not help, meaning be able to defend you at all, however many they are. Allah is with the believers. This story in verse number 19 it's written by Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah in his tafsir and it's also found in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad and it is an authentic narration that Abu Jahan when he came to the battlefield of Badr he made a dua and his dua was Oh Allah tomorrow the one from amongst us meaning either us as the Quraysh or them as the Muslims whoever from amongst us breaks off the ties of kinship more and goes against what you do not recognize meaning the religion whoever has bought a religion that you are not pleased with then tomorrow show him your punishment. And that is a dua that he made thinking that is the Muslims who have broken up the ties of kinship 
they're the ones who have broken off the ties of their family members in Mecca and it's the Muslims who have changed what the Arabs knew from their religion and their idolatry and their polytheism and so therefore he thinks that he's making dua for them but look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes him choose words that would be for either of them and so Allah Azza wa Jal, rather than him making the dua specifically against the Prophet or the Muslims, he makes a very vague dua that actually fits upon him more than it fits upon the Muslims. And so Allah Azza wa Jal answered the dua, or answered it in a way that he didn't expect, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed him. And as we know, Abu Jahl is one of those people who would be killed on the battlefield of Badr. Ya amanu wa you who believe, obey Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَلَا تَوَلَّوْا عَنْهُ وَأَنْتُمْ تَسْمَعُونَ And do not turn away from Him by opposing His commands when you are able to hear the Qur'an and its admonitions. وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ قَالُوا سَمِعْنَا وَهُمْ لَا يَسْمَعُونَ Do not be like those who say, we hear when they do not hear, because if they really heard it, it would result in their sincere reflection and their being admonished. This refers to the hypocrites or the idolaters. إن شر الدواب عند الله الصم البكم الذين لا يعقلون. The worst of beasts in Allah's sight are those who are deaf to the truth and dumb and so unable to give expression to it who have no intellect. ولو علم الله فيهم خيرا لا أسمعهم. If Allah knew of any good in them, meaning openness to hearing the truth, He would have made them able to hear, meaning enabling them to understand it. وَلَوْ أَسْمَعَهُمْ That even if he had made them able to hear, a mere hypothesis, since he knew there was no good in them, they would still have turned away from the truth out of their obstinacy and denial. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اسْتَجِيبُوا لِلَّهِ وَلِلرَّسُولِ إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ لِمَا يُحْيِيكُمْ You who believe, respond, respond to Allah and to the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by obeying them when he calls you to what will bring you to life. Meaning the deen of Islam since it is the means to eternal life. Know that Allah intervenes between a man and his heart. Meaning so that he cannot believe or disbelieve except by the will of Allah. And that you will be gathered to him so that he may repay you for your actions. In verse 24 Allah says respond to Allah and the messenger when he calls you to that which will bring life to you. And this is in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, that when the Prophet ﷺ would call one of the companions, that they should respond to him immediately. As we mentioned in the virtues of Surah Al-Fatiha and the hadith of the companion who was praying in Al-Bukhari, and the Prophet ﷺ called him and he was praying an optional prayer and he finished his prayer. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, why did you take so long? Did you not hear this verse? And he recited this verse to him and then he went on to tell him about the virtues of Surah Al-Fatiha. And after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, it is as Imam Suyuti says, it refers to the religion that the Prophet ﷺ left us with, that it gives us life. And life here means spiritual life, eternal life, reward, blessing, barakah, forgiveness, mercy. And so by responding to what Allah says in the Qur'an, and by following what the Prophet ﷺ left, it is the means to salvation. وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَّةً Be fearful of trials which, if they happen to you, will not afflict solely those among you who do wrong. Rather, they will envelop them and other than them. So you should keep clear of them by objecting to those objectionable things which will bring them about. 
وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ Know that Allah is severe in retribution to those who oppose Him. And Allah, and, and Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he said in the commentary of this verse, he said that Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that if people do not right the wrongs within their society, if they see evil becoming rampant and oppression, and no one speaks out and no one attempts to correct it, then Allah's punishment when it comes will take over them. It will take all of them. The ones who do it, the evil, and the ones who don't. And Allah Azza wa punish, punishes everyone. And Allah's punishment when it comes, and Allah sends something, it doesn't just specify the evil. But rather, it's something which is general for everyone at that time. And that's why Ibn Kathir, Imam Ibn Kathir, Allah, he said after the statement of Ibn Abbas, this commentary of his, he said, and this is a very good tafsir of this verse. And that is supported in the Sunnah, in the hadith of Umm Salama, radiallahu anha, she said, O Messenger of Allah, will we be destroyed? Will we be destroyed and amongst us are the righteous? The Prophet said, yes, if evil becomes rampant. And so the importance of within our families, within our communities, within our neighborhoods, of keeping what is good and keeping good ties and doing things which are good and beneficial, not letting evil become rampant in that way when people have bad character, they do bad things that harms people, then that's something which is a duty upon everyone. And in the other hadith, the Prophet was asked, O Messenger of Allah, why will Allah destroy the people who are righteous? The Prophet said, when Allah's punishment comes, it takes everyone in its wake. And then Allah will resurrect people according to their intentions. Meaning Allah will resurrect them in the, in the next life according to who was righteous and who was not. But in this life, the punishment of Allah takes everyone. And that's what Allah is saying. When a fitna comes, it doesn't just strike the evil. It strikes everyone. Trials when they come, mass trials, pandemics, or civil war, whatever it may be, those types of trials when they come, it's not just the righteous who are, or the evil that are taken and the righteous are spared, but rather it is something which takes everyone together. وَذْكُرُوا إِذْ أَنْتُمْ قَلِيلٌ مُسْتَضْعَفُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ تَخَافُونَ أَنْ يَتَخَطَّفَكُمُ النَّاسِ When you were few and oppressed in the land, meaning in Mecca, afraid that the people, meaning the unbelievers, will snatch you away, suddenly seizing you. فَآوَاكُمْ وَأَيَّدَكُمْ بِنَصْرِهِ وَرَزَقَكُمْ مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ He gave you refuge in Medina and supported you with his help, meaning the angels at Badr, and provided you with good things, meaning beauty, so that perhaps you would be thankful for his blessings. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَخُونُوا اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولَ وَتَخُونُوا أَمَانَاتِكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ you who believe, do not betray Allah and His Messenger. This was revealed about Abu Lubaba, Marwan ibn Abdul Mundir. The Prophet sent him to Ben Quraiza to persuade him to agree to submit to the Prophet's judgment. They consulted him, but he indicated to them, because he had family and wealth among them, that they were going to be executed. And do not knowingly betray your trust, referring to both the deen and other things you have been entrusted with. وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ فِتْنَةٌ Know that your wealth and children are a trial, a potential obstacle to you in your progress to the next world. So do not be tempted by concern for your property and children into acting treacherously on their account. وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ أَجْرٌ عَظِيمٌ And that there is an immense reward with Allah. This was revealed about Abu Lubaba's repentance. And in these verses 27 and 28, the story of Abu Lubaba, 
is something which is mentioned by some of the scholars which have seen in their commentaries, but not by all of them. And many of them don't mention this story, meaning that the verse is general, not referring to any specific incident. And as we said before, even if it is referring to a specific incident, then the verse is still general in its ruling and in its application. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِن تَتَّقُوا اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ فُرْقَانًا وَيُكَفِّرْ عَنْكُمْ سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ You who believe, if you are fearful of Allah by showing regret and in other ways, He will give you discrimination, enabling you to thereby avoid what you fear so that you will be saved and erase your bad actions from you. وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ and forgive you your wrong actions. وَاللَّهُ ذُو الْفَضْلِ الْعَظِيمِ Allah's favor is indeed immense. In verse 29, Allah Azza wa says, If you fear Allah, Allah will give you a furqan. And a furqan in the Quran can come with different meanings. One of them is a criterion that separates or helps you to distinguish between truth and falsehood. But in this verse, the word furqan means an exit. As mentioned by Ibn Abbas and Mujahid and others. That if you fear Allah, Allah will give you a way out, an exit. And that's why Asiyuti then says, Enabling you thereby to avoid what you fear so that you will be saved. So by fearing Allah Azza wa Allah makes for you a way out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this more explicitly in Surah Al-Talaq, وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا Whosoever fears Allah, Allah will give them a way out. And Allah knows best. وَإِذْ يَمْكُرُوا بِكَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِيُثْبِتُوكَ أَوْ يَقْتُلُوكَ أَوْ يُخْرِجُوكَ Remember Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, those who disbelieve, or plotting against you, consulting one another in Darul Nadwa in Mecca about what to do about you, to bind and imprison you or kill you, acting all together as a single man, or expel you from Mecca. They were plotting and Allah was plotting to take care of your interests by revealing to you what they had plotted and commanding you to leave. But Allah is the best of plotters, having more knowledge than they have. And this is the famous story that we know about the Hijrah before the Prophet left to Medina that the Quraysh gathered and they had a consultation amongst themselves as to what to do when the issue and the affair became too much. And this was done with the exclusion of the tribe or the clan of the Prophet ﷺ, Banu Hashim, Banu Muttalib, even the disbelievers amongst them were not consulted because they knew that they would defend the honor of their family member, the Prophet ﷺ. So the Quraysh came together, what shall we do? One of the, as Allah mentions, one of the positions was that they should imprison him. But then they said if we imprison him, and this wasn't a concept that the Arabs had of jail and prison, but if we put him under house arrest or we imprison him somewhere, how long before his family, his family members, Abbas, his uncles, his cousins, everyone comes together and they free him. And if they free him, then we can't really do anything unless we're going to start a civil war amongst ourselves. Or we kill him. And as we know, that's the position that they would finally settle upon. That they would kill him to be rid of him as a single man, meaning that all of the different clans other than the clan of the Prophet would agree that one from each clan, their representatives would go and they would kill him together. So that therefore, the family of the Prophet has no option except to take his blood money. They can't fight all of Quraysh, so they have no other choice. Or the other third option was that we let him go, expel him. But then they said if we expel him, it shows our weakness and how long before he becomes stronger and it's a problem that we just kick down the road. And so therefore, as we know, they chose the position that they would kill him and we know that Allah Azza wa Jal saved him.
وإذا تتلى عليهم آياتنا قالوا قد سمعنا لو نشاء لقلنا مثل هذا إن هذا إلا أساطير الأولين When our signs, meaning the Qur'an, are recited to them, they say, we have already heard all this. If we wanted, we could say the same thing. This, meaning the Qur'an, is nothing but the myths, meaning fabrications of previous peoples. This was said by Anab ibn al-Harith, because he went to Iraq to trade and purchase some books of the history of the Persians and recounted them to the people of Mecca. This uh, story is mentioned in the books of, in, in verse 31, in the books of Tafsir, and Allah knows best, but another ibn al-Harith was one of the chieftains of Quraysh, one of their noblemen. And he said he went to Hira, which is an area in Persia, and he bought books. And he would come and he would tell, or he would read these stories to the Quraysh. And he would say, who's a better storyteller, me or Muhammad wasallam?" Meaning that he was doing this to ridicule him. And that's why Allah Azza is speaking about the science and these people who fabricate. He would read these stories from books and say, aren't I a better storyteller than Muhammad wasallam?" وَإِذْ قَالُوا اللَّهُمَّ إِنْ كَانَ هَذَا هُوَ الْحَقَّ مِنْ عِنْدِكَ فَأَمْطِرْ عَلَيْنَا حِجَارَةً مِنَ السَّمَاءِ أَوْ اِئْتِنَا بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ And they say, O oh Allah, if this, meaning which Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has recited to us, is really the truth revealed from you, rain down stones on us out of heaven, or send a painful punishment down on us for denying it. And Nabh and others said this in mockery, pretending to have the necessary insight to be able to declare definitively that it was false. This verse 32, it is possible that another Ibn Harith, the same man, said this, but what is authentically mentioned in Sahih Bukhari is that it is Abu Jahl who said this. Abu Jahl made this dua, and it's possible that other than Abu Jahl made it as well, and Allah knows best, but he is the one who made the dua. Oh Allah, if this is true, then send down upon us rain of stones from the heavens, or bring us a punishment, as the previous nations would often mock their prophets and demand us as we saw in Surah Al-A'raf they would say bring us Allah's punishment show us that it is the truth and when those people would demand it Allah Azza wa Jal would destroy them but from the blessings of this Ummah and from the special characteristics of our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the special du'as that were granted to him was that his Ummah would not be destroyed in a single punishment they wouldn't be all destroyed in a single punishment as was the case with Aad and Thamud and Madian and the people of Lut and Nuh and so on and so forth. For this Ummah, that wouldn't be the case. And then Allah Azza wa will go on to mention now in 33 and 34 the reason why. Allah will not punish them in the way they were asking for while you were among them. Because when the punishment descends, it is all inclusive. So a nation is only punished when the Prophet and the believers leave it. وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ Allah will not punish them as long as they sought forgiveness, which the idolaters used to do when they said in their tawaf, your forgiveness, your forgiveness. It is also said that this ayah refers to oppressed believers among them, as Allah says, and had those who disbelieve among them been clearly distinguishable, we would have punished them with a painful punishment. And that's referring to the verse in Surah Al-Fatih. لَوْ تَزَيَّلُوا لَعَذَّبْنَا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْهُمْ عَذَابًا أَلِيمًا this is mentioned in, um, in the books of Tafsir that the Arabs, when they would go around making tawaf, they would say in Jahiliya, they would say, Ghufranak, Ghufranak. We seek your forgiveness, we seek your forgiveness. And that's what the author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, is referring to that Allah will not punish them as long as they sought forgiveness. But why should Allah not punish them with the sword? 
Now that you and the oppressed Muslims have left, it is said that this ayah abrogates the previous one. For Allah did punish them at Badr and elsewhere. When they bar access to the Prophet وسلم, and the Muslims, preventing them from doing tawaf at al-Masjid al-Haram. وَمَا كَانُوا أَوْلِيَاءَهُ They are not his guardians. إِنْ أَوْلِيَاءُهُ إِلَّا الْمُتَّقُونَ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Only people who are God-fearing can be its guardians. But most of them do not know that they are not its proper guardians. Verse 34, if you look at 33 and 34, there seems to be an apparent conflict. In the first 133, Allah is saying, He won't punish them so long as you're there with them. He won't punish them once they see forgiveness. Then in 34, Allah is saying, And why shouldn't He punish them? It's as if Allah is saying, He will punish them. So, how do we understand those two verses? How do we understand those two verses? Obviously, based on the fact that it's not abrogated, which is the position of the majority of the scholars, that this is not a verse that abrogates 34, doesn't abrogate 33. وَمَا كَانَ صَلَاتُهُمْ عِنْدَ الْبَيْتِ إِلَّا مُكَاءً وَتَصْدِيَةً The prayer at the house is nothing but whistling and clapping in place of the prayer of Islam which they have been commanded to do. فَذُوقُوا الْعَذَابَ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْفُرُونَ So taste the punishment at Badr because you have disbelieved. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ لِيَصُدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ those who disbelieve spend their wealth in support of the war against the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, barring access to the way of Allah. فَسَيُنْفِقُونَهَا ثُمَّ تَكُونُ عَلَيْهِمْ حَسْرَةً They will spend it. Then, after they see what happens, they will regret it, because they will have both lost what they spent and also failed to achieve their aim in doing it. Then, they will be overthrown in this world. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا إِلَى جَهَنَّمَ يُحْشَرُونَ those who disbelieve will be gathered, meaning driven, into hell in the next world. So that Allah can sift out, redas, liyumayiza and liyamiza, the bad, meaning the unbelievers, from the good, meaning the believers, and pile the bad on top of one another, heaping them all together and tip them into hell. They are the last. Say to those who disbelieve, such as Abu Sufyan and his companions, that if they stop their unbelief and fighting the Prophet wasallam, they will be forgiven what is past of their actions. But if they return to it, meaning fighting, they have the pattern of previous peoples in the past, referring to their destruction, which is what will happen to them as well. وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ وَيَكُونَ الدِّينُ كُلُّهُ لِلَّهِ Fight them until there is no more fitna, meaning shirk. And the deen is Allah's alone, meaning that only He is worshipped. فَإِنِ انْتَهَوْ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِمَا يَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ If they stop their unbelief, Allah sees what they do and will reward them for it. وَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ مَوْلَاكُمْ But if they turn away from belief, know that Allah is your master, your supporter who is in charge of your affairs. نِعْمَ الْمَوْلَى وَنِعْمَ النَّصِيرِ The best of masters and the best of helpers. وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا غَنِمْتُمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَأَنَّ لِلَّهِ خُمُسَهُ وَلِلْرَسُولِ وَلِذِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينِ وَبْنِ السَّبِيلِ 
Know that when you take any beauty from the unbelievers by military force, a fifth of it belongs to Allah and to the Messenger وسلم, and to close relatives of the Prophet وسلم, from the Banu Hashim and the Banu Muttalib, orphans, children of, Mus- children of Muslims, whose fathers have died and were poor, the very poor, meaning those in need among the Muslims, and travelers, Muslims on journeys. Thus, one-fifth goes to Prophet ﷺ and to the other four categories mentioned, so that each of five categories has a fifth of the fifth, and the remaining four-fifths go to those who took the booty. If you believe in Allah and in what, he has, and what we have sent down to our slave, Muhammad ﷺ, referring both to the angels and other signs on the day of discrimination, meaning the day of Badr, when the truth was distinguished from the false, the day the two groups, meaning the Muslims and the unbelievers, met. Allah has power over all things, meaning being able to give them victory in spite of their small number and the large number of the enemy. When you are on the nearer slope, meaning nearer to Medina, and they were on the further slope, and the caravan was lower down than you, meaning closer to the sea. If you had made an appointment with them to fight, you would have broken the appointment. However, it happened with no appointment, so that Allah could settle a matter whose result was preordained in the foreknowledge of Allah, referring to the victory of Islam and the, and the root of unbelief, so that those unbelievers who died would die with clear proof, established against them, and those believers who lived would live with clear proof of the victory of the believers despite their small numbers in the face of the vastly greater number numbers of the enemy army. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَسَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ Allah is all-hearing, all-knowing. In verse 42, Allah Azza wa says that if these people, meaning the Muslims, and the disbelievers have to try to have made an appointment, they had agreed that we would meet at a certain day, on a certain time, at a certain place, they wouldn't have met because of how difficult it would have been for them to meet. But Allah Azza wa willed it for them and decreed it for them. And that shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His plan is something which no one can overcome. The Prophet didn't intend to go and meet the Quraysh. The Quraysh never intended to fight originally. They had a trade caravan. But then the different pieces came into motion and into play. And Allah Azza wa made these two armies meet so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could make their affair clear and distinct for the people as Allah says, referring to the victory of Islam and the rout of unbelief. Remember when Allah showed them to you in your dream as only a few. And you told your companions about your dream and they were happy. If he had shown you them as many, you would have lost heart, meaning become cowardly, and quarreled, meaning argued with one another about the matter, meaning the order to fight. But Allah saved you from losing heart and quarreling. He knows what your hearts contain. وَإِذْ يُرِيكُمُهُمْ إِذْ الْتَقَيْتُمْ فِي أَعْيُنِكُمْ قَلِيلًا وَيُقَلِّلُكُمْ فِي أَعْيُنِهِمْ Remember believers, when Allah made you, see, made you see them as few, meaning about 70 or 100, when they were in fact a thousand, when you met them, and also made you seem few in their eyes, so that they would not withdraw from fighting. 
This was before battle was actually joined Because when battle was joined Allah made them seem twice the actual number As we find in Surah Al-Imran This was so that Allah could settle a matter whose result was preordained All matters return to Allah That is from the blessings that Allah gave to the believers on the day of Badr That he made the disbelievers seem few in their eyes Even though they outnumbered the Muslim army three to one But Allah made them seem few in their number In order to give them that tranquility that confidence, that serenity, that security and at the same time at the beginning or before the battle begins the Quraysh see the Muslims as few and they are few but they are seem to, they seem to be even fewer in order to embolden them and make them even more overconfident because had Allah made the Muslims at the beginning of the battle seem like a vast massive army the Quraysh may have turned and fled without fighting but Allah wanted them to fight and Allah decreed that they would be fighting so that this issue could become clear whereas once the battle begins then they realize or it's made to seem to them that the army is bigger as Allah mentions in Surah Ali Imran قَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ آيَةٌ فِي فِئَتِينِ الْتَقَتَ فِئَةٌ تُقَاتِلُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَأُخْرَى كَافِرَةٌ يَرَوْنَهُمْ مِثْلَيْهِمْ رَأْيَ الْعِينِ and the disbelieving army were made to seem as if uh, to the disbelieving army it was made to seem to them that they were twice their number twice the number of what they could see and that is what the author is referring to Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu idha laqeetum fi'atan fathbutu You who believe when you meet a troop of unbelievers stand firm when you fight وَذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ And remember Allah repeatedly asking for His help so that perhaps you'll be successful meaning gain victory وَأَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَلَا تَنَازَعُوا فَتَفْشَلُوا وَتَذْهَبَ رِيحُكُمْ Obey Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and do not quarrel among yourselves lest you lose heart and fail and your, and your momentum meaning strength and power disappear وَاصْبِرُوا and be steadfast إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الصَّابِرِينَ Allah is with the steadfast meaning giving them, help, giving them His help and victory وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ بَطَرًا وَرِئَاءَ النَّاسِ وَيَصُدُّونَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Do not be like those who left their homes in arrogance to prevent the Muslims from seizing their caravan and then did not return back when they knew the caravan was safe showing off to people saying we will not return until we drink wine, slaughter camels and have tents for us at Badr making sure their words were heard and thereby barring them from the way of Allah وَاللَّهُ بِمَا يَعْمَلُونَ مُحِيطٌ Allah encompasses, has full knowledge of what they do Whereas يَعْمَلُونَ and also تَعْمَلُونَ You do, and He will repay them for it In verse 47, the statement of uh, The statement that the author Taala is mentioning Is mentioned in the books of history as the statement of Abu Jahan That when he was told that the caravan of Quraysh has escaped Abu Sufyan managed to escape And therefore you can return Abu Jahan said, no, we will go to Badr and we will drink our wine and we will slaughter our camels and we will show people our strength to all of the Arabs, meaning to the Arabian Peninsula, the other Arab tribes, we will show them our strength and we will have a merry time and we will enjoy ourselves and then we will leave. And that's what the author is referring to. When Shaytan, meaning Iblis, made their actions appear good to them by encouraging them to meet the Muslims when they feared that their enemies meaning the, the Banu Bakr would come out. 
وقال لا غالب لكم اليوم من الناس وإني جاه لكم Saying to them, no one will overcome you today for I am at your side in Kinan. He came to them in the form of Suraqa ibn Malik, the chief of that region. فَلَمَّا تَرَاءَتِ الْفِئَتَانِ نَكَصَ عَلَىٰ عَفِيبَيْهِ وَقَالَ إِنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِّنْكُمْ But when the two parties, meaning the Muslims and the unbelievers, came in sight of one another, and Shaytan saw the angels while he was holding the hand of Al-Harith ibn Hisham, he turned right round on his heels and fled, saying, I wash my hands of you. إِنِّي أَرَى مَا لَا تَرَوْنَ I see what you do not see, meaning the angels. إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهَ وَاللَّهُ شَدِيدُ الْعِقَابِ I fear that Allah will destroy me. Allah is severe in retribution. And this story is mentioned also in the books of Seerah, that Shaytan came to Quraysh as they were planning to go out for the battle of Badr. And it's said that when Abu Jahal and all of the chieftains of Quraysh, before they set out for the battle of Badr, as they, as they gathered together to have their consultation, and as they wanted to discuss the option of going out, one of the things that they were afraid of is that if they left, Mecca would be attacked by their enemies because the Quraysh had some enemies and from them is Banu Bakr, this tribe, this tribe from Kinana. And Banu Bakr was a tribe that they were having problems with and fighting with. So some of the Quraysh said that if we leave, we leave ourselves exposed. Mecca is exposed. So what if Banu Bakr come whilst we are gone and they attack our city? So we haven't achieved anything. Even if we win the battle with the Muslims, they come and they take us from behind, meaning from the rear whilst we are away. So Iblis came to them in the form of the chief of Banu Bakr, a man by the name of Suraqa ibn Malik. And he said to them, not only will we not attack you, but I will go out with you, accompany you, in order to show you that I am supporting you. And then because they felt, and it's not really Suraqa, but it's Shaitan in his guise, because they felt that serenity and that safety, that there was, would come no harm to Mecca, they all decided to go out. And as Allah Azza wa says, when Suraqa or Shaitan, when he saw the army of the angels coming, he fled. Because he knows the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his retribution. إِذْ يَقُولُ الْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ دِينُهُمْ And when the hypocrites and those with sickness, meaning weakness of belief in their hearts, said, These people, meaning the Muslims, have been deluded by their deen. Hypocrites said this when the Muslims went out to fight a large army, expecting to be victorious despite the smallness of their numbers. Allah Almighty answered them with the words, But those who put their trust in Allah will be victorious and will find Allah to be Almighty in command of his affair, all wise in what he does. Meaning that as the Muslims were leaving for the battle of Badr, the hypocrites as they always do and as we saw in the battle of Uhud, they were like, these, these people are crazy. Their religion has made them deluded. There's a few of them and the Quraysh are much stronger, much more powerful, much better equipped. And they think that they're going to win. Doesn't make any sense to us. And Allah Azza wa responds that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gave them victory because of the trust that they placed in him. If only you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, could see when the angels take back, read as yatawaffa and tatawaffa, those who disbelieved at their death, beating their faces and their backs with iron bars, and they will be told, Taste the punishment of the burning in the fire. That punishment is for what you did. 
وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ لَيْسَ بِظَلَّامٍ لِلْعَبِيدِ Allah does not wrong his slaves, meaning he does not punish them if they have committed no wrong. And that's why, because of what they went through in the Battle of Badr, the companions who witnessed the Battle of Badr are considered to be from amongst the most senior of the companions of the Prophet mm-hmm. And they have a special virtue and a special station, not least of which is what was mentioned by the Prophet concerning the Battle of Badr, that perhaps Allah has looked upon them and said, do as you please, for I have forgiven you. Such was the case with Pharaoh's people and those before them. They disbelieved in Allah's signs, so Allah sees them with punishment for their wrong actions. Allah is strong, enabling him to do whatever he wills, severe in retribution. ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ لَمْ يَكُمْ غَيِّرًا نِعْمَةً أَنْعَمَهَا عَلَى قَوْمٍ حَتَّى يُغَيِّرُوا مَا بِأَنفُسِهِمْ That is because Allah would never change a blessing He has conferred on the people, meaning replacing it with its opposite until they had changed what was in themselves out of unbelief. As the unbelievers of Mecca exchanged their security from hunger and fear and the standing to them of the Prophet ﷺ for unbelief, barring people from the way of Allah and fighting the, believe, fighting the believers. وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ Allah is all-hearing, all-knowing. كَدَأْبِ آلِ فِرْعَوْنَ وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ Such was the case with Pharaoh's people and those before them. كَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ فَأَهْلَكْنَاهُمْ بِذُنُوبِهِمْ They denied their Lord's signs, so we destroyed them for their wrong actions. وَأَغْرَقْنَا آلَ فِرْعَوْنَ We drowned Pharaoh's people together with him. All of them, meaning those sinful nations, were wrongdoers. The worst of animals in the sight of Allah are those who disbelieve and so do not believe. This was revealed about the Banu Qurayla. Verse 55, that it was revealed about Banu Qurayla, which was one of the Jewish tribes of Medina, is the opinion of Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala and others say that it is a general verse and the word dawab dawab is translated here by the translators as animals and that is a more, a more modern usage of the word dab now in our time dawab and dab means animal but what it means in the original Arabic is kullu ma al ard as Allah says in surah hud wa ma min dabatin fil ardi illa ala allahi rizquha Anything that treads upon the earth is called Dabba. Dabba means to stamp, to tread. And so I think a better translation here is the worst of all living creatures than animals. Because animals obviously is restricted to animals. And Allah is not referring to animals, he's referring to humans. Whichever opinion you take, whether it's one tribe or more general. And so therefore, living creatures is a better translation and Allah knows best. الَّذِينَ عَاهَدْتَ مِنْهُمْ ثُمَّ يَنْقُضُونَ عَهْدَهُمْ فِي كُلِّ مَرَّةِ Those with whom you make a treaty that they should not give support to the idolaters and who then break it every time. وَهُمْ لَا يَتَّقُونَ They show no fearfulness of Allah in their treachery. فَإِمَّا تَثْقَفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْحَرْبِ فَشَرِّدْ بِهِمْ مَنْ خَلْفَهُمْ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَذَّكَّرُونَ So if you, if you come upon such people in war, make a harsh example of them. To mark them out by punishment in order to deter and admonish those coming after them so that perhaps they will pay heed. 
وإما تخافن من قوم خيانة فانبذ إليهم على سواء If you fear treachery on the part of a people with whom you have made a treaty and their deception becomes clear to you, revoke your treaty with them mutually in a way in which both you and they will know that the treaty is revoked so that they will not accuse you of treachery. Allah does not love treacherous people. وَلَا يَحْسَبَنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَهُوا سَبَقُوا Do not imagine Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that those who disbelieve have got ahead of Allah. إِنَّهُمْ لَا يُعْجِزُونَ They are quite powerless to escape him. وَأَعِدُّوا لَهُمْ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ مِنْ قُوَّةٍ وَمِنْ رِبَاطِ الْخَيْلِ Arm yourselves to fight against them with all the firepower. Literally strength which, as related by Muslim, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said here meant shooting and cavalry horses devoted to fighting in the way of Allah you can muster to terrify the enemies of Allah and your enemies meaning the unbelievers of Mecca and others beside them whom you do not know meaning the hypocrites or the Jews Allah knows them وَمَا تُنْفِقُوا مِنْ شَيْءٍ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ يُوَفَّ إِلَيْكُمْ Anything you spend in the way of Allah will be repaid to you in full. وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تُظْلَمُونَ You will not be wronged, meaning you will not lose out in any way at all. وَإِنْ جَنَحُوا لِلسَّلْمِ فَجْنَحْ لَهَا وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ If they incline to peace, where does both silm and selm, you too incline to it and make a treaty with them. Ibn Abbas said that this was abrogated by the ayah of the sword. Mujahid said that it is particular to the people of the book since it was revealed about the Banu Quraidah. And put your trust in Allah. He is the all-hearing of your words, the all-knowing of your actions. In verse 61, the statement of Mujahid that these verses are about Banu Quraidah, Ibn Kathir ta'ala said that that doesn't seem to be the case because these are verses that are speaking about the battle of Badr. And Banu Quraidah on the issue comes much later after the battle of Ahzab. Yeah. If they intend to deceive you by pretending to want peace when their true intention is to prepare their forces to fight you, Allah is enough for you. It is He who supported you with His, with his help and with the believers. وَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ And unified their hearts, which had been divided by old feuds. لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا مَّا أَلَّفْتَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ Even if you had spent everything on the earth, you could not have unified their hearts. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ أَلَّفَ بَيْنَهُمْ But Allah has unified them by His power. إِنَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ He is almighty in control of his affair, all wise, meaning nothing is neglected by his wisdom. And this is because the, in, in verse 63, because as we said before, the Ansar had major civil strife and war amongst them, major problems. The Aus and the Khazraj, the two tribes that would make up the Ansar. And Allah says it is by his blessings that he united their hearts and made all of that old enmity between them disappear. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ حَسْبُكَ اللَّهُ وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَكَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Prophet, Allah is enough for you and enough for the believers who follow you. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ حَرِّضِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عَلَى الْقِتَالِ 
Prophet وسلم, spare on the believers to fight the unbelievers. If there are 20 of you who are steadfast, they will overcome 200. And if they are, brothers Yakun and Takun, a hundred of you, they will overcome a thousand of those who disbelieve, because they are people who do not understand. This is a command in the form of a report ordering twenty to fight two hundred and a hundred to fight a thousand and ordering them to stand firm in spite of the odds. It was later abrogated by the next ayah when the number of Muslims grew. Now Allah has made it lighter on you by removing the obligation of fighting when the odds are ten to one. Knowing there is weakness in you, read as ضعف and ضعف. If they are, read as يكن and تكن, a hundred of you who are steadfast, they will overcome two hundred. And if there are a thousand of you, they will overcome two thousand with Allah's permission, meaning by Allah's will. This is another command in the form of a report ordering the believers to now fight and stand firm when the odds are two to one. Allah is with the steadfast by means of his help to them. In verses 65 and 66 in the narration of Al-Bukhari, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum has said, that when Allah revealed the first verse 65 telling the order, the, the order and the command for the Muslims to fight with odds of 10 to 1 He said that that was difficult for the Muslims and they found it difficult to bear So then Allah revealed the concession of ordering them to fight with the odds of 2 to 1 Verse 67 This ayah was revealed when ransom was accepted for the captives of Badr مَا كَانَ لِنَبِيٍ أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُ أَسْرَى حَتَّى يُثْخِنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ It is, read as يَكُنْ and تَكُنْ, not fitting for a prophet to take captives until he has let much blood in the land, meaning slaughtered many unbelievers. تُرِيدُونَ عَرَضَ الدُّنْيَا You, meaning believers, desire the goods of this world, meaning the money you accepted as ransom. وَاللَّهُ يُرِيدُ الْآخِرَةِ Whereas Allah desires the reward of the next world for you through fighting the unbelievers. Wallahu Azizun Hakim. Allah is Almighty, all wise. This ayah was abrogated by Allah's words, set them free or ransom them. This verse 67, it is an authentic narration in the Mustad of Al Hakim that after the Battle of Badr, when the Prophet had captives and prisoners of war, people that had lost because the Quraysh lost the battle, they had a number of captives. And the Prophet consulted Abu Bakr and Umar as to what to do with these captives. Abu Bakr was of the opinion that they should be ransomed. Because the Muslims were poor and they needed money and some of them would fetch a very good price. And the other opinion of Umar was that they should be killed as a lesson to the Quraysh because of the many years of oppression and transgression and harm and injustice opposed and imposed upon the Muslims. The Prophet took the view of Abu Bakr and Allah corrected him and this is specific to this battle that for this battle you shouldn't have taken the money. But rather teaching them the lesson was the better of the two options. But that was then abrogated as the author Ta'ala says in the verse in Surah Muhammad. Allah gave him the option as the Muslim ruler has of either 
ransoming them or keeping them captive or doing as he thinks is best with them. Why not for prior decree, meaning making beauty and captives lawful for you, which had already proceeded from Allah, a terrible punishment would have afflicted you on account of what you took, meaning the ransom. So make full use of any beauty you have taken which is lawful and good. And be fearful of Allah. Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ قُلْ لِمَنْ فِي أَيْدِيكُمْ مِنَ الْأَسْرَى Prophet وسلم, say to those who are holding prisoner where there's Al-Asra and Al-Usara if Allah knows of any good, meaning belief and sincerity in your hearts, He will give you something better than what has been taken from you, referring to the ransom money, which Allah will return doubled and also give you a firm place in the next world and forgive you your wrong actions. Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. But if they, meaning the captives, mean to betray you by the words they come out with, they have already previously betrayed Allah by their unbelief before Badr. So He has given you power over them by your killing them and taking them prisoner at Badr. And they can expect the same result if they try again. Allah is all-knowing of His creation, all-wise in what He does. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَهَاجَرُوا وَجَاهَدُوا بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آوَوْا وَنَصَرُوا أُولَٰئِكَ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضٍ Those who have believed and have emigrated and done jihad with their wealth and themselves in the way of Allah, meaning the muhajirun, and those who have given refuge to the Prophet ﷺ and help, meaning the amsar, they are the friends and protectors of one another, with respect to support and inheritance. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يُهَاجِرُوا مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ وَلَايَتِهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ حَتَّى يُهَاجِرُوا But as for those who believe but have not emigrated, you are not in any way responsible for their protection. Read as, wilaya and walaya. In other words, there is no inheritance between you and them, you and them, and they have no share in any beauty you take until they emigrate. This was abrogated by the end of the surah. وَإِنِ اسْتَنْصَرُوكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ فَعَلَيْكُمُ النَّصْرُ إِلَّا عَلَىٰ قَوْمٍ بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُمْ مِيثَاقٌ But if they ask you for help in respect of the deen, it is your duty to help them against the unbelievers, except against people you have a treaty with, in which case you should not break it by helping them. وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ Allah sees what you do. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضٌ those who disbelieve are the friends and protectors of one another with respect to support and inheritance. If you do not act in this way, meaning, in other words, if the Muslims do not take control and curb the idolaters, there will be turmoil in the land and great corruption because of the strength of unbelief and weakness of Islam. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَهَاجَرُوا وَجَاهَدُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آوَوْا وَنَصَرُوا أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ حَقَّا Those who believe and have emigrated and then jihad in the way of Allah and those who have given refuge and help, they are the true believers. لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةٌ وَرِزْقٌ كَرِيمٌ They 
will have forgiveness and generous provision, provision in the garden. Verse 74 is one of the clearest verses in the Quran that speaks about the virtues of the companions radiyallahu anhum ajma'in because Allah refers to those who believe and migrated and made jihad and that's the muhajireen, the people of Mecca and those who gave refuge and help and that is the Ansar of Medina and Allah Azza wa Jal says They are the true believers which shows not only their status but the importance of following their path and following their teachings and their and, and, and their understanding rather of the religion of Islam. And Allah Azza wa then says they have his forgiveness and they have the generous provision of the Jannah. Those who believe and emigrate later on, after the first wave of believers and muhajirun and accompany you in jihad, they are also of your number, meaning together with the Muhajirun and Ansar. But blood relations are closer to one another, meaning more entitled to inherit from one another than the believers who are only connected by the belief and emigration mentioned in the previous ayah, in the Book of Allah, meaning the preserved tablet. Allah has knowledge of all things, among which is the wisdom of inheritance. And this final verse of Surah Al-Anfal in the narration of At-Tabarani Abdullah ibn Abbas said that when the Prophet first came to Medina he made a pact of brotherhood between the Muhajirin and the Ansar and the terms of that pact of brotherhood between every one of the Muhajirin and the Ansar is that whoever would die from one of them the other would inherit from them so if the man from Medina dies the man from Mecca inherits and vice versa that was at the beginning of Islam in the early, period of the, in the early part of the Medinan period and then that was abrogated by this verse But blood relatives are closer to one another Meaning that they have more right to inheritance And that's where we obviously have those verses that we already discussed in Surah An-Nisa About the inheritance of parents and siblings and children and spouses Surah Al-Tawbah, Repentance This Surah is Medinan except for the last two ayat which are Mecca it has 120 ayat and was revealed after Surah Al-Ma'idah. So this Surah, Surah Al-Tawbah, is uh, often referred to as Surah Al-Tawbah. And it is a Surah which will speak about many of the rulings of fighting and waging war. And it is also a Surah that will discuss two battles. The Battle of Tabuk and the Battle of Hunayn. And if we look at the battles of the Prophet Sallallahu and the major battles that the Prophet Sallallahu fought, then they are mentioned within the Qur'an. We have, for example, in Uhud, we already covered, in, sorry, Adi Imran, Surah Ali Imran, we already covered the Battle of Uhud. And now in Surah Al-Anfal, we took the Battle of Badr. In this Surah, we have the Battle of Tabuk and Hunayn. In Surah Al-Hujurat, uh, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala will, will mention, rather in Surah Al-Hazab, Allah Azza wa will mention the Battle of Ahzab. In Surah Al-Fatih, Allah will mention the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And so Allah Azza wa Jal, and in Surah Al-Fatih, we have the conquest of in Surah Al-Fatih we have the Treaty of Hudaybiyah And so Allah Azza wa Jal throughout the Qur'an mentions some of the major battles that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam fought This Surah, Surah Al-Tawbah is a Madani Surah And that is the opinion of the vast majority of the scholars of, of, um, of Islam To the extent that Al-Qurtubi Rahimahullah Ta'ala said that is by Ijma' And not only is it a Madani Surah, it is considered to be one of the last Madani Surahs Meaning revealed towards the very end of the Medinan period and Al-Bara ibn Azib radiallahu an 
just as he considered the last verse of Surah An-Nisa to be the last verse revealed, he also said that Surah Al-Tawbah was the last Surah to be revealed. So the last verse of An-Nisa is the last verse revealed, and this is the last Surah that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala revealed from the Qur'an. So it is a Madani Surah and from the last of the Madani Surahs. It has many names that it is known by. And it is perhaps one of the surahs of the Qur'an that has the most names that it is referred to. It is known by many names. From them is the name of At-Tawbah. And At-Tawbah means repentance. Why is it called At-Tawbah when there is a, a surah that speaks about fighting and battles and wars that were waged? Because within it Allah will also mention the repentance of the believers. And especially those companions who missed the battle of Tabuk. So that's one of the reasons why it is called At-Tawbah. From the names that this surah is known by is Al-Bara'a, which is taken from the first word of the surah, Bara'atun min Allahi wa Rasul. And that is because it is a pronouncement from Allah that he is free from, and the Prophet ﷺ that they are free from the practices of the polytheists. From the names that it is known by is Al-Fadiha, Al-Fadiha, which means the exposer. And that's because it exposes in great detail the hypocrites. It speaks about them in great detail to the extent that it is reported that Abdullah ibn Abbas called the Surah Al-Fadiha, the Exposer. And he said because he kept speaking about them over and over, so many verses were revealed about the hypocrites that I thought that it's not going to miss anyone out from amongst them. Meaning that it speaks about them in great detail. And from the names that it is given is Al-Buhuth, which means the seeker, because it would seek and seek out the Munafiqeen, the hypocrites, and we'll mention them in great detail. Uh, no. The Basmalah, in the name of Allah, all merciful, most merciful, does not introduce it because, according to a hadith reported by Al-Hakim, the Prophet ﷺ did not command that it should be. Something similar is reported from Ali, namely that the Basmalah is security, and this surah was revealed to remove security by the sword. Hudayfa said, you call it Surah Tawbah, while it is, in fact, Surah Al-Adab. The Surah of Punishment. Al-Bukhari related from Al-Bara' that it was the last Surah to be revealed. So, as I said, it has a number of names. And as you can see here from the statement of Hudayfah, another name is Surah Al-Adab, which means the Surah of Punishment, because it speaks about wars and fighting and so on. This is the only Surah of the Qur'an that doesn't begin with the Basmalah. So, every other Surah of the Qur'an you see in the Mus'haf, it has Bismillah rahman rahim except for Surah Al-Tawbah. And there are different opinions as to why that is. And the author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, has mentioned some of the more famous ones, such as the opinion of the position of Ali radiallahu an, that the basmala is invoking Allah's mercy, but this was a surah that spoke about punishment and fighting and war, and so therefore the basmala was not placed at the beginning. And there are, to be honest, many different opinions uh, from amongst the scholars of tafsir. Uh, Imam Al-Qurtubi says in conclusion after mentioning all of those various opinions and I think he says in my opinion that the reason why there is no basmala is because Jibreel did not mention the basmala at the beginning of the surah when he revealed it to the Prophet but the point is that there are different positions as to why that is however the scholars generally all agree that there is no basmala at the beginning of this surah so therefore if you were to continue reading on from surah and fat you would go straight into this surah so you wouldn't say anything, you would just go straight into its recitation. And if you're going to begin with the recitation of Bara'a, then you say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajim, and then you begin with its recitation. 
براءة من الله ورسوله إلى الذين عاهدتم من المشركين An announcement to the idolaters You have a general treaty with for four months, more or less That Allah and His Messenger are free of them Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Meaning the treaty is cancelled by this statement فَسِيحُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ أَرْبَعَةَ أَشْهُرُ You may travel about safely in the land for four months Idolaters The first month was Shawwal As will be shown later After that you will have no security وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّكُمْ غَيْرُ مُعْجِزِ اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ مُخْزِ الْكَافِرِينَ And know that you cannot thwart Allah Meaning escape his punishment And that Allah will humiliate the unbelievers in this world By killing and in the next by the fire وَأَذَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ إِلَى النَّاسِ يَوْمَ الْحَجِّ الْأَكْبَرِ أَنَّ اللَّهَ بَرِيءٌ مِّنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ وَرَسُولُهُ A proclamation and announcement from Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam To mankind on the day of the great pilgrimage Meaning the day of sacrifice Allah is free of the idolaters and their treaties As is His Messenger also free Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The Prophet sent Ali that year, which was 9 AH, and he proclaimed these ayat at Mina on the day of sacrifice, adding that no unbeliever should make Hajj after that year or do tawaf around the house naked. Al Bukhari related that. If you repent of unbelief, it will be better for you. But if you turn your backs on unbelief, know that you cannot thwart Allah. وَبَشِّرِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ Give the unbelievers the news of a painful punishment Referring to killing and capture in this world And the fire in the next world As the author Ta'ala mentions in verse number 3 of Surah At-Tawbah This is the day that Allah Azza wa Jal told Or this is the time that the Prophet was commanded by Allah Azza wa Jal To proclaim to the people that no one from the idolaters Would be able to come back into Mecca They wouldn't be able to make tawaf, tawaf naked And all of those other issues all of that was going to be abolished. And so the Prophet ﷺ, even though Hajj was obligated in the ninth year of the Hijrah, he didn't make Hajj that year. Some of the scholars say the reason because is, or the reason for that is because many of the practices of Quraysh and the Arabs from Jahiliyyah was still predominant. So if the Prophet ﷺ was to have made Hajj, whilst many of those practices are still prevalent, then people will become confused as to what is Islam and Tawheed, and what is from the practices of Shirk and Jahiliyyah. So in the first year, the Prophet sent Abu Bakr to go and lead the Hajj. And Ibn Taymiyyah says the fact that the Prophet chose Abu Bakr for this is not only a testament to his leadership, but a testament to his knowledge. Because anyone that makes Hajj knows that Hajj is one of the most complex of the pillars of Islam in terms of its rulings. And so Abu Bakr was sent... Then these verses were revealed, so the Prophet ﷺ said Ali radiallahu an after him, meaning behind him, to go and make this proclamation which was made on the day of the Hajjul Akbar, which is the day of sacrifice, the 10th of Dhul Hijjah. Except those among the idolaters you have treaties with, who have not then broken any of the terms of their treaties with you in any way, or granted assistance to anyone among the unbelievers against you. Honor <coughs> their treaties until their time runs out. <laughs> Allah loves those who are God fearing by completing their agreements. And even though this is a surah, as you can see in verse 4, that speaks about war and fighting. And what the Muslims are allowed to do in those times Then 
Allah Azza wa still speaks about justice and upholding your treaties and keeping your covenant and being people of integrity and trustworthiness. فَإِذَا انْسَلَخَ الْأَشْهُرُ الْحُرُمُ فَاقْتُلُوا الْمُشْرِكِينَ حَيْثُ وَجَدْتُمُوهُمْ وَخُذُوهُمْ وَاحْصُرُوهُمْ وَاقْعُدُوا لَهُمْ كُلَّ مَرْصَدٍ Then when the sacred months are over, in other words, at the end of the period of delay, granted, kill the idolaters wherever you find them, whether they be in the haram or outside it, and seize them by capture and besiege them in citadels and fortresses until they either fight or become Muslim, and lie in wait for them on every road on which they travel. If they repent of their unbelief and establish the prayer and pay zakat, let them go on their way and do not interfere with them. Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful to those who repent. وَإِنْ أَحَدٌ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ اسْتَجَارَكَ فَأَجِرْهُ حَتَّى يَسْمَعَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ If any of the idolaters ask you for protection from being killed, give them protection and security until they have heard the words of Allah, meaning the Qur'an. ثُمَّ أَبَلِغْهُ مَأْمَنَةً Then convey them to a place where they are safe, meaning the land of their people, if they do not believe. Then grant them a delay while they consider their circumstances. That is because there are people who do not know the deen of Allah. They must listen to the Qur'an so that they know. In verse number 6 we see that Allah allows for a believer, a Muslim to give safe passage, to grant safe passage to a disbeliever. And that they can grant them safety. And this is mentioned in the hadith on the conquest of Mecca of Muhanit radiallahu anha. That she came to the Prophet and she said, O Messenger of Allah, I have given safety to someone. And there are Muslims saying that because they're disbelievers, we will harm them. And remember that these are, many of these companions are related to the Muhajireen. The Prophet said to anha, who is the sister of Ali, he said that we have given safety to whomsoever Muhajirin gives safety to. Meaning, the fact that one Muslim gives safety, it is something which applies to all of the Muslims. And the Prophet ﷺ in the Sunnah of Abi Dawood, when the messengers of Musaylama the liar, the false prophet, came to Medina to give the Musaylama's message to the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ became angry because this man is claiming to be a prophet, he said, were it not that messengers and ambassadors are not killed, I would have killed you because of the evil message that you have brought. And then the Prophet ﷺ released them and let them go back. كيف يكون للمشركين عهد عند الله وعند رسوله إلا الذين عاهدتم عند المسجد الحرام How could any of the idolaters possibly have a treaty with Allah and with his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when they are those who reject Allah and his messenger treacherously sallallahu alayhi wa sallam except for those you made a treaty with at al-masjid al-haram meaning at al-hudaybiyah so it is the Quraysh who are accepted as long as they are straight with you, meaning as long as they do not break their treaty, be straight with them and keep the treaty. Allah loves those who are God-fearing. The Prophet ﷺ kept the treaty he had made with them, meaning the Quraysh, until they broke it by helping the Banu Bakr against Khuza'a. And this is the reason for the conquest of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ after the treaty of Hudaybiyah, had a treaty with the Quraysh and from the terms of the treaties that whoever from amongst the Arab tribes wants to side with Quraysh can do so and whoever wants to side with the Muslims can do so and therefore they become like allies amongst themselves. 
So the Prophet ﷺ, the tribe of Khuza'ah, took the side of the Muslims, and they were not all Muslims. Khuza'ah had non-Muslims amongst them as well. And Banu Bakr took the side of Quraysh. And then towards the eighth year of the Hijrah, the Banu Bakr decided that they would attack Khuza'ah because they had enmity between them from before the treaty. And the Quraysh and some of them helped them by giving them weapons. And some of them even accompanied these people who would take this nighttime raid whilst the Khuza'ah was sleeping. And they were unaware. And they were taken by surprise and a number of them were slaughtered. So one of their chieftains rolled straight away from there all the way to Medina. And he stood in front of the Prophet ﷺ and he was citing verses of poetry. Speaking about the evilness of what the Khuza'ah had done, of Banu Bakr had done. And so the Prophet ﷺ decided that now that they've broken the treaty, he would go and he would conquer Mecca. And when Abu Sufyan heard what had taken place, he was afraid that this would result in war. And now he realized the strength of the Muslims and what they had managed to do within those two years between the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and the Eighth Year of the Hijrah. So he rode to Medina himself to try to reinstate the terms of the treaty. But the Prophet ﷺ refused to meet with him. And then he returned, and as we know then, the conquest of Mecca takes place. How indeed can they have a treaty? For if they get the upper hand over you by defeating you, they will respect neither kinship nor treaty. Instead, they will harm you as much as they can. They please you with their mouths by fair words, but their hearts belie their words and they do not abide by what they say. Most of them are deviators and break their word. They have sold Allah's signs, meaning the Qur'an, for a paltry price, meaning this world. They did not follow the Qur'an, but instead followed their appetites and desires, and they have barred access to his way, meaning his deen. What they have done in disregard is truly evil. They respect neither kinship nor treaty where a believer is concerned. They are the people who overstep the limits. But if they repent and establish the prayer and pay zakat, they are your brothers in the deen. We make the signs clear for people who have knowledge and reflect. If they break their oaths and agreements after making their treaty and defame and criticize your deen, then fight the leaders of unbelief. Their oaths and treaties mean nothing, so that hopefully they will stop their unbelief. Verse 13. The following is for encouragement. Will you not fight a people who have broken their oaths, meaning their treaties, and resolve to expel the messenger from Mecca, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when they plotted against him in the Dawah al-Nadwa, and who initiated hostilities against you in the first place? They initiated the fighting when they fought Khuza'a, your allies with the Banu Bakr. Why then should you not fight them? Is it them you fear? Fallahu ahakku an tahshawhum in kuntum 
Allah has more right to your fear if you do not fight them if you if you do not fight them if you are believers قاتلوهم يعذبهم الله بأيديكم ويخزيهم وينصركم عليهم ويشفي صدور قوم مؤمنين fight them Allah will punish them by killing them at your hands and disgrace them by capture and defeat and help you against them and heal the hearts of those who believe for what the Banu Khuza'a did to them. وَيُذْهِبَ غَيْضَ قُلُوبِهِمْ He will remove the rage and grief from their hearts. وَيَتُوبُ اللَّهُ عَلَى مَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah turns to anyone He wills by making them turn to Islam. Like Abu Sufyan. وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. أَمْ حَسِبْتُمْ أَنْ تُتْرَكُوا وَلَمَّا يَعْلَمِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا مِنْكُمْ وَلَمْ يَتَّخِذُوا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلَا رَسُولِهِ وَلَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلِيْجَةِ Or did you suppose that you would be left without Allah knowing by outward knowledge those of you who perform jihad with sincerity and who have not taken anyone as their intimate friends besides Allah and His Messenger and believers This refers to those who are sincere, who can be described by what Allah mentions here. وَاللَّهُ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah is aware of what you do. مَا كَانَ لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ أَنْ يَعْمُرُوا مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ شَاهِدِينَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ بِالْكُفْرِ It is not for the idolaters to frequent the mosques, read as masajid, plural, and masjid, singular, to frequent the mosques of Allah by entering and sitting in them, bearing witness against themselves of their unbelief. أُولَٰئِكَ حَبِطَتْ أَعْمَالُهُمْ وَفِي النَّارِ هُمْ خَالِدُونَ They are the ones whose actions will come to nothing. They will be in the fire timelessly forever. إِنَّمَا يَعْمُرُ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَأَقَامَ الصَّلَاةَ وَآتَ الزَّكَاةَ وَلَمْ يَخْشَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ The mosques of Allah should only be frequented by those who believe in Allah and the last day and establish the prayer and pay zakat and fear no one but Allah. فَعَسَىٰ أُولَٰئِكَ أَنْ يَكُونُوا مِنَ الْمُهْتَدِينَ They are the ones most likely to be guided. أَجَعَلْتُمْ سِقَايَةَ الْحَادِّ وَعِمَارَةَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ كَمَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَجَاهَدَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Do you make the giving of water to pilgrims and looking after the people of the Masjid Al-Haram the same as believing in Allah and the last day and doing jihad in the way of Allah? لَا يَسْتَمُونَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ They are not equal in the sight of Allah, in respect of their excellence. وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ Allah does not guide wrongdoing people, meaning unbelievers. This was revealed to refute those who said they were equal, namely Al-Abbas and others. In verse number 19 in Surah At-Tawbah, the narration that the author Taala mentions is clicked in Sahih Muslim, the hadith of Al-Nu'man ibn Bashir radiallahu anhu that the, some of the companions began to argue with one another by the minbar of the Prophet ﷺ in his masjid. And the narration in Sahih Muslim doesn't name anyone by name. It doesn't say Al-Abbas, but in other narrations it names them. And it says, for example, that Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, said that now that we have belief, meaning after Iman and after belief, after accepting Allah and the Prophet ﷺ, then we are the best because we are the ones who water the pilgrims. So he's saying that we have a virtue over everyone else. And then there were other companions who their job was to look after the haram in general. And they said, no, we are better because we are custodians of the, of the haram. We are the ones who look after the masjid. And then others said, no, neither of you are better. We are the ones who are better because we are the ones who fought in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And so they began to debate. So Umar radiallahu anhu had them and he said to them, lower your voices. It is not befitting that you argue in this way in the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam by his minbar. But let him come and lead us in prayer. And then after the salah we will ask him. So they were asked, they asked the Prophet sallallahu and Allah azza wa jal revealed this verse. الذين آمنوا وهاجروا وجاهدوا في سبيل الله بأموالهم وأنفسهم أعظم درجة عند الله. Those who believe and emigrate and do jihad in the way of Allah with their wealth and themselves have a higher rank with Allah than those who do not. وأولئك هم الفائزون. They are the ones who are victorious and who win good. يُبَشِّرُهُمْ رَبُّهُمْ بِرَحْمَةٍ مِّنْهُ وَرِضْوَانٍ وَجَنَّاتٍ لَهُمْ فِيهَا نَعِيمٌ مُقِيمٌ The Lord gives them the good news of His mercy and good pleasure and gardens where they will enjoy everlasting delight. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا Remaining in them timelessly forever and ever. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ أَجْرٌ عَظِيمٌ Truly, there is immense reward with Allah. Verse 23. This was revealed about those who did not emigrate because of their families and businesses. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu la tattakhidu abaakum wa ikhwanakum awliyaa a'in istahabbu al-kufra ala al-eeman. You who believe do not befriend your fathers and brothers if you prefer unbelief to belief. Wa man yatawallahum minkum fa'ulaika humul zalimun. Those among you who do befriend them are wrongdoers. In verse 23, as Ta'ala mentions this cause of revelation. And Imam Al-Qutubi in his tafsir, rahimahullah, after mentioning this cause, he says that it is unlikely and that the verse is general. That it's not about these people who didn't emigrate because of their families and their businesses and because of that they stayed back. But rather he said that, that the verse is general and not specific to any particular cause. قُلْ إِنْ كَانَ آبَاؤُكُمْ وَأَبْنَاؤُكُمْ وَإِخْوَانُكُمْ وَأَزْوَاجُكُمْ وَعَشِيرَتُكُمْ وَأَمْوَالٌ اِقْتَرَبْتُمُوهَا وَتِجَارَةٌ تَخْشَوْنَ كَسَادَهَا وَمَسَاكِنُ تَرْضَوْنَهَا وَمَسَاكِنُ تَرْضَوْنَهَا أَحَبَّ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَجِهَادٍ فِي سَبِيلِهِ فَتَرَبَّصُوا حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ اللَّهُ بِأَمْرِهِ Say, if your fathers or your sons or your brothers or your wives or your tribe meaning your clan, redders, عشيرتكم, عشيرتكم, and عشيرتكم, or any wealth you have acquired, or any business you fear may slump, and not be carried out, or any house which pleases you, are dearer to you than Allah and His Messenger, وسلم, and do jihad in His way, and so you remain behind instead of emigrating and performing jihad, then wait until Allah brings about His command. This is a threat to them. Allah does not guide people who are deviators. لَقَدْ نَصَرَكُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَوَاطِنَ كَثِيرَةِ Allah has helped you on many occasions, meaning in war, such as Abad and the fight against Quraybah and Al-Nadir. وَيَوْمَ حُنَيْنٍ إِذْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ Including the day, the day of Hunayn, a valley between Mecca and Ta'if, referring to the day when the Muslims fought Hawazin in Shawwal 8AH. When your great numbers delighted you, you said, we will not be defeated today due to a lack of manpower. The Muslims numbered 12,000 and the unbelievers 4,000. But did not help you in any way, and the earth seemed narrow to you for all its great breath. 
The ma in bima is adverbial, meaning that in spite of its extent, you could not find a place in which you felt safe due to the intensity of fear which you experienced. And you turned your backs in defeat while the Prophet remained firm on his white mule and no one remained with him except Al-Abbas and Abu Sufyan who was holding his stirrup. In verse 25, Allah as we said, this surah will speak about the battle of Tabuk and the battle of Hunayn. And the battle of Hunayn is the battle which takes place after the conquest of Mecca. So once the Quraysh have been conquered in Mecca and many of them accept Islam, the, some of the other big tribes of Arabia who were strong tribes after the Quraysh who were similar to them in strength, namely the Hawazin and Thaqif, they sought to join forces and attack the Muslims because they were afraid now that the Quraysh has fallen, we will be next. So let us go out and fight them. So the Prophet ﷺ prepared to fight them in the 8th year of the Hijrah after the conquest of Mecca. And he left from Mecca and he went to this place between Mecca and Ta'if. And the Thaqif live in a Ta'if. They are the tribe of Ta'if. And so the Prophet ﷺ went to fight them. And the Muslims are now great in number. 12,000 on. 10,000 of them from those who conquered Mecca. 2,000 extra from the new Muslims who have accepted Islam since the conquest of Mecca. And this is the first time now after the conquest of Mecca because the conquest of Mecca isn't really a battle. They don't really fight in the conquest of Mecca. They overpowered the Meccans. It is the first time that the Muslims will engage with their foe and their enemy and they are superior in number and in power. And so some of the companions were impressed by their number and they said, today if we lose it won't be because of a lack of number. Allah Azza wa says that they had a difficult time at the beginning of the battle and they were routed and the Muslim, Muslims began to uh, be separated in the battlefield and their ranks began to disperse and they began to flee and only the Prophet ﷺ stood with a number of companions as is mentioned in the narration of Al-Bukhari that he started to say I am the Prophet and that is no lie I am the son of Abdul Muttalib and he was trying to bring the companions back to him and only a few of them remained around him whilst the rest of the Muslims were in disarray and that is when the Prophet ﷺ called to his uncle Al-Abbas because Abbas was known to have a strong, loud voice that projected well. He said, O oh Abbas, call the Muslims to come to me. So Abbas called out, O oh Muslims, come to the Prophet ﷺ. So they regrouped and then by the permission of Allah they were victorious in that battle. The author Taala mentions here a very interesting point. Al-Abbas says that from amongst the people that were holding the reins of the camel of the Prophet ﷺ was myself and Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan, who only a very few short weeks before is the arch enemy of Islam, is the one who's trying to kill the Prophet ﷺ and harm the Muslims, but he's one of those people who accepts Islam in the conquest of Mecca. That's the meaning of those verses that we've taken before, that Allah Azza would decide whom to guide and whom to misguide. And so despite Abu Sufyan and his years and years of oppression against the Muslims, he accepts Islam. Not only does he accept Islam, but he becomes strong in his faith. The first test that he faces here in the Battle of Hunayn, he's one of the few that stands firm. And he's one of the few that fights well on that day, radiallahu anhu. And that shows his status and it shows his virtue in Islam. ثُمَّ أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَى رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Then Allah sent down His serenity, meaning peace of mind, on His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and on the believers. 
The believers returned to the Prophet when, at his command, Al Abbas called them back and they fought. And sent down troops you could not see, meaning the angels, and punished those who were unbelievers by killing and capture. That is how the unbelievers are repaid. Then after that, Allah returned to anyone He wills with Islam. Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu innama al-mushrikuna najasun fala yaqrabu al-masjid al-harama ba'da aamihim hadha You who believe the idolaters are unclean through their foulness of their inward so after this year, meaning 9AH, they should not come near al-masjid al-haram. Wa in khiftum aylatan fasawfa yughniikum Allah min fadlihi insha'a if you fear impoverishment, meaning poverty, through your trade with them being cut off, Allah will enrich you through conquest and jizya from his bounty if he wills. Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. In verse 28, when Allah says that the disbelievers are unclean, as Imam Allah correctly says, it is a spiritual impurity, not a physical impurity. And that's why the Sharia allows you to shake the hands of non-Muslims, to sit alongside with them, to work with them, to be polite with them, to do good towards them, to honor and respect them where and when appropriate. And that is because we don't have that belief as some of those sects do, unfortunately, amongst the Muslims, that they take this verse to be literal. It is a spiritual impurity, one of faith and one of disbelief. قاتلوا الذين لا يؤمنون بالله ولا باليوم الآخر ولا يحرمون ما حرم الله ورسوله ولا يدينون دين الحق من الذين أوتوا الكتاب. Fight those of the people who are given the book who do not believe in Allah and the last day, shown by the fact that they did not accept the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and who do not make unlawful what Allah and His Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم have made unlawful, such as things like wine and do not take as their deen the deen of truth, which confirms and abrogates other deens. Until they pay the jizya with their own hands, meaning the Jews and the Christians who must pay it in submission or directly with their actual hands, in a state of complete abasement, humble and subject to the judgments of Islam. The jizya is a poll tax that they are required to pay every year. وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ عُزَيْهُونِ بِنُ اللَّهِ The Jews say, Uzayl is the son of Allah. وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ الْمَسِيحُ بِنُ اللَّهِ And the Christians say, the Messiah, meaning Isa, is the son of Allah. ذَلِكَ قَوْلُهُمْ بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ That is what they say with their mouths, having nothing on which to base it. يُضَاهِئُونَ قَوْلَ الَّذِينَ كَفَهُوا مِنْ قَبْلِ Copying the words of those who disbelieved before, thereby imitating their forefathers. قَاتَلَهُمُ اللَّهِ Allah fight them. This is a type of curse. أَنَّا يُؤْفَكُونَ How perverted they are. Meaning, how they have turned aside from the truth when the proof has been established. اتَّخَذُوا أَحْبَارَهُمْ وَرُهْبَانَهُمْ أَرْبَابًا مِّن دُونِ اللَّهِ وَالْمَسِيحَ بَنَا مَغْيَمْ They have taken their rabbis, meaning Jewish scholars, and monks, meaning Christian worshippers, as lords besides Allah, since they follow them rather than Allah in making lawful what Allah has made unlawful, and making unlawful what Allah has made lawful, and also the Messiah, son of Maryam. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا إِلَاهًا وَاحِدًا Yet they were commanded in the Torah and Gospel to worship only one God. 
La ilaha illahu. There is no God but Him. Subhanahu amma yushrikun. Glory be to Him who is far above anything they associate with Him. In verse 31, the statement of Imam Suti rahimahullah ta'ala that they that since they follow them rather than Allah making lawful Allah has made lawful and making lawful Allah has made lawful is mentioned in the hadith of Adi ibn Hatim radiyallahu an that he said to the Prophet or Messenger of Allah as non-Muslims, as Christians and Jews we never used to worship our rabbis and monks and priests the Prophet said to him what they made halal did you not consider it to be halal and what they made haram you consider it to be haram he said yes O Messenger of Allah the Prophet said, that is your worship of them. Because from that which Allah retained solely for him subhanahu wa ta'ala is that he is the one who legislates. And he is the one who decides what is halal and haram. And the Prophet bases what he says as halal and haram from revelation, upon revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They desire to extinguish Allah's light, meaning his sharia and his proofs. With the words of their mouths. Allah refuses to do other than perfect and manifest His light, even though the unbelievers detest it. It is He who sent His Messenger, Muhammad, وسلم, with guidance and the deen of truth to exalt it over every other deen meaning any deen opposed to his, even though the idolaters detest it. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu inna kathiran minal ahbani wal ruhbani layakuluna amwala nasi bil batili wa yasudduna an sabinillah. You who believe many of the rabbis and monks devour people's property under false pretenses, such as by taking bribes for making favorable judgments and bar people from access to the way of Allah, meaning his deen. وَالَّذِينَ يَكْنِزُونَ الذَّهَبَ وَالْفِضَّةَ وَلَا يُنْفِقُونَهَا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَبَشِّرْهُمْ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ As for those who hoard up gold and silver and do not spend it, meaning what has been hoarded in the way of Allah, not for instance paying what is due on it in the form of zakat and charity, give them the news of a painful punishment. In verse 34, an Imam ibn Kathir Taala has a very nice commentary on this verse and he says, that three groups of people, if they become corrupt, society becomes corrupt. The first of them is the scholars, because people look up to them for instruction about their religion and what they need to learn. So if they become corrupt, that is part of society becoming corrupt because they change the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two are the worshippers, like Allah mentions the rabbis and the monks, those people who worship Allah because they are signs or outward signs of being dutiful to Allah, of being pious, of being righteous. So if they are people who are cheating and deceiving and are not people of integrity, then that also messes up society. And the third group are the businessmen. As he says, is mentioned in the story of Shu'ib and his people. Because if the businessmen and the traders begin to cheat, then people feel compelled that they need to cheat in order to balance the skills and the books. And so therefore, society becomes corrupted when these three segments of the society are corrupt. <coughs> يَوْمَ يُحْمَى عَلَيْهَا فِي نَارِ جَهَنَّمَ فَتُؤْوَى بِهَا جِبَاهُمْ وَجُنُوبُهُمْ وَظُهُورُهُمْ On the day it is heated up in the fire of hell, and their foreheads, sides and backs are branded and burned with it. Their skin will become large enough to take all of it. They will be told, هَذَا مَا كَنَزْتُمْ لِأَنفُسِكُمْ This is what you hoarded for yourselves. فَذُوقُوا مَا كُنْتُمْ 
So taste the repayment for what you are hoarding. These verses 34 and 35 are also from the strongest threats of punishment about those people who don't give zakah. And it is one of the most neglected pillars of Islam. One of the most neglected pillars of Islam and one of the ones about, people which, about which people are most ignorant is the pillar of zakah. The zakah that is due on their wealth that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated upon them once in a lunar year. And that is an extremely important obligation of Islam. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu fought in his lifetime those people when he was the Khalifa who refused to pay the zakah. He thought that those who differentiated and refused it, and those are people who refused it not because they were lazy, but because they said that it's not an obligation, it's not a part of our religion. He fought them because that amounted to disbelief. So even though someone who doesn't pay it out of laziness or some other uh, lazy excuse isn't a non-Muslim, they don't go out of the fold of Islam, they do however commit a major, major sin. And this is the punishment that they will receive if Allah does not forgive them, that their wealth that they hoarded and they amassed, that they never paid its due of zakah upon it, it will be used to brand them and burn them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and it will be said to them, this is the wealth that you hoarded. And we mentioned already the hadith of the authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that that wealth in the other narration will be made into a snake that will strike at them and that will bite them and they will try to flee from that snake and that snake will say, I am your wealth, I am your treasure that you hoarded. إن عدة شهور عند الله اثنا عشر شهرا في كتاب الله يوم خلق السماوات والأرض. There have been twelve months in the calculation of the year with Allah in the book of Allah, meaning the preserved tablet, from the day He first created the heavens and the earth. منها أربعة حروم. Four of them, meaning the months, are sacred, namely ذو القعدة ذو الحجة محرم and رجب. ذلك الدين القيم فلا تظلموا فيهن أنفسكم That making sacred is a true upright deen So do not wrong one another during them Meaning the sacred months By acts of disobedience Because in these months they constitute a greater sin than than at other times It's said that this means in all months وقاتلوا المشركين كافة كما يقاتلونكم كافة but fight the idolaters totally, at all times, just as they fight you totally. And know that Allah is with those who are God-fearing by His help and victory. In verse 36, about the sacred months, he says that to disobey Allah Azza in them constitutes a greater sin. And others said that it's referring to all months, meaning the verse, or the part of the verse, Do not wrong one another during them. Is them referring to all of the 12 months mentioned at the beginning of the verse? Or is them referring to the four months that are the sacred months? The position of many of the scholars is that to sin in the sacred months is a grave of a graver nature than to sin outside of them. Just as to sin in the sacred sanctuaries of Mecca and Medina is graver than to sin outside of them. Another scholar said, no, this is a general instruction referring to not sinning and oppression and obviously oppression and sinning at any time of the year is something which is not allowed but the question here is does it multiply does it become graver in those sacred months and that is the position of a number of the scholars and Allah knows best <laughs> deferring a sacred month meaning deferring the inviolability of one month to another month as they used to do in the Jahiliya when they were engaged in fighting is an increase in disbelief because they deny the judgment of Allah in it. 
by which the unbelievers lead many people astray. Read as Yudillu and Yudallu. Yuhilunahu Amen wa Yuhadrimunahu Amen Liwati Uidatama Havanallah. One year they make it profane and another sacred to tally it with the number Allah has made sacred. They make this exchange to keep the right number of sacred months. So the number remains exactly the same but the specific months concerned are varied. In that way, they profane what Allah has made sacred and think that what they do is good. Their bad actions are made to seem good to them. Allah does not guide disbelieving people. In verse 37, what is the author referring to here, Rahimullah Ta'ala, about the sacred months and them deferring them and then making others sacred or not making them sacred? It is a practice that the Jahiliya Arabs used to have. And that is that if they were engaged in a war and the month of Muharram was coming upon them because the Arabs, even before Islam, understood the sanctity of these Ashharul Huram to the extent that it is said that a person could walk past the murderer of his father in the, in the sacred months and they wouldn't harm one another. Even though this is the man who killed his father, he's the murderer. And normally he would exact revenge on him, but because it's the sacred month, he wouldn't raise his hand against him. That is how they would honor those months before Islam. And it is one of the shames of our time that we've become negligent of the position and the status in our religion of these sacred months that Allah has made sacred. But the point here is that one of the ways that they would circumvent the way that they would twist those rulings of Allah that they themselves understood and generally abided by is that if they were engaged in war with another tribe and the month of Muharram came, they would say, we will delay the sacred month of Muharram to suffer so that we can continue fighting and finish this battle. And that's what Allah is saying, that one year they make it sacred and the next year they don't, depending on their circumstances and what it suits them to do. And so they would keep, they would say, we're keeping the same number, it's still four in a year, but this year it's not Muharram because we're in battle. So this year it's suffer instead. And the next year if there's no battle, no fighting in Muharram, it's Muharram again. And that is what Allah Azza is referring to. Verse 38. The following was revealed when the Prophet ﷺ called people to go on the Tabuk expedition. They were in difficulty and it was a time of great heat and so it was hard for them. Ya amanu ma lakum lakum You who believe, what is the matter with you? That when you are told, go out, go out and fight in the way of Allah, you sink down heavily to the earth meaning you incline away from jihad and sit on the ground. The question is meant to be a rebuke. Are you happier with this world than the next world and its pleasures? Yet the enjoyment of this world is very small and, insig- and insignificant compared to that of the next world. So as we see now in verse 38, Allah Azza now begins to speak about the battle of Tabuk. So this is now where we begin with some of the issues that are going to arise during the Battle of Tabuk and one of the greatest of them as we know is the position of the hypocrites and how they responded to this. And that's because the Battle of Tabuk would be in the ninth year of the Hijrah would be one of the greatest that the Muslims would face in terms of the distance that they would have to travel because they're traveling from Medina to the very far northern part of the Arabian Peninsula where it is today the very northern part of modern-day Saudi Arabia, the area that is still called Tabuk. It was a great distance. And the battle took place in the heat of the summer. 
So it's bad enough that it's a long distance away, but it is extremely hot, as we know, in the desert of Arabia, and they would have to travel. And the Muslims are still relatively poor. They don't all have horses and donkeys or camels that they can ride. They don't have all of them the wealth that could take them on such a very long mission. And then on top of that, now the enemy is not just a tribe of Arabs. It is the Roman Byzantine Empire that they will be fighting in their first skirmish between them and the Roman Empire. And so now the foe and the enemy is not just some Arabs or some Bedouin tribe. It is a superpower of that time and someone that is known for their strength and their military powers and their wealth and their position and everything else. And so it is a completely different prospect to the other battles that have been fought up until this point. إِلَّا تَنْفِرُوا يُعَذِّبْكُمْ عَذَابًا أَلِيمًا وَيَسْتَبْدِلْ قَوْمًا غَيْرَكُمْ وَلَا تَغُرُّوهُ شَيْئًا If you do not go out to fight with the Prophet وسلم, for jihad, he, meaning Allah, will punish you with a painful punishment and substitute another people in your place. You will not harm him in any way by not helping him. This can refer to either Allah or to the Prophet وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ Allah has power over all things. Allah is the one who helps his deen. He has the power to help his deen and his prophet. If you do not help him, meaning the Prophet, Allah did help him when the unbelievers drove him out of Mecca. And he was forced to seek refuge outside when they intended to kill him or imprison him or to exile him after their meeting in the Darul Nadwa. And there were two of them in the cave in Mount Thor. The two of them in the cave were the Prophet and Abu Bakr. The implication is that just as Allah helped him in that situation, he will not disappoint him in other similar situations. He said to his companion, Abu Bakr, who, upon seeing the feet of the idolaters at the mouth of the cave, said, If one of them looks under his feet, they will see us. Do not be despondent, Allah is with us. Meaning with his help. Then Allah sent down his serenity, meaning peace of mind, upon him. This may refer either to the Prophet وسلم, or to Abu Bakr. And reinforced him, meaning the Prophet وسلم, with troops you could not see. A reference to the angels in the cave and in other places where they fought. وَجَعَلَ كَلِمَةَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا السُّفْلَىٰ He made the word of the unbelievers, meaning the court shirk, undermost, meaning defeated. وَكَلِمَةُ اللَّهِ هِيَ الْعُلْيَىٰ It is the word of Allah, meaning the shahada, that is uppermost, meaning victorious. وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah is almighty in his kingdom, all wise in what he does. And this is the famous story in verse number 40 of Surah At-Tawbah. Of the Prophet sallallahu migration of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in the hide in the cave of Thor for a number of nights, and one on one occasion the scouts of the Quraysh who are searching for them because a bounty has been placed upon their heads, chance upon the cave, and the Prophet and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu are on the cave that is beneath where the Quraysh are searching. So that if they were to look down, they would see the opening of the mouth of the cave, and in it they would see the two of them hiding therein. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, as is mentioned in the narration of Sahih Muslim, O Messenger of Allah, one of them only has to look down. And if they do so, then they will see us. And the Prophet said, as Allah mentions here in the Quran, O Abu Bakr, what do you think of the two that Allah is the third with them?
Infiru Go out to fight, whatever your circumstances or desires. Literally, light and heavy, meaning both active and not active, or both strong and weak, or both rich and poor. It is, it is abrogated by the ayah, nothing is held against the weak. And do jihad with your wealth and yourselves in the way of Allah. That is better for you if you only knew. So do not sit down heavily. This was revealed about the hypocrites who stayed behind. In verse 41, in my view, it is better to change the, uh, the translation of the verse with the commentary that they've given. Go out to fight, whether you are lightly armed or heavily armed. Khifafa is from lightly armed. Thiqala is heavily armed. And then in the, the, um, the commentary, whatever your circumstances or desires, which is basically what it means, whether you are rich or poor, whether you have much weaponry or not much weaponry, and so on. But the verse itself, it is a closer translation to say lightly or heavily armed. And Allah knows best. لو كان عرضا قريبا وسفرا قاصدا لاتبعوك If it, meaning what you have called them to, to had been a case of easy gains of the goods of this world and a short journey to somewhere closer at hand they would have followed you for the sake of the booty ولكن بعدت عليهم الشقة But the distance was too great for them and so they stayed behind فَسَيَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ لَوْ اسْتَطَعْنَا لَخَرَجْنَا مَعَكُمْ they will swear by Allah when you return to them. Had we been able to go out, we would have gone out with you. They are destroying their own selves by swearing false oaths. Allah knows that they are lying in what they say to you. In verse 42, Allah now starts to speak about the situation of the hypocrites. These are the hypocrites Allah is describing them. That they always look after their best interests. If they thought that it would be a short journey, a quick battle, they would gain wealth and they would become rich from it, they would go out. And if they thought that it's going to be a difficult, ard- arduous journey and hard and possibly resulting defeat, as may have been the case in Tabuk because of the enemy and the distance and the circumstances, then they start to make excuses. And Allah is saying, this is their reality. This is Allah subhanahu is exposing them. That's why we said at the beginning of the surah that the scholars or the companions, some of them said that it's called Al-Fadiha, the exposer. Others said that it is the seeker because it will mention in great detail the situation of the hypocrites. Verse 43. The Prophet ﷺ gave permission to a group to stay behind on his own initiative. And the following was revealed to censure him. The pardon came before the censure to calm his heart. Allah pardon you. Why did you excuse them for staying behind rather than just leaving them until it was clear to you which of them were telling the truth in the excuse and until you knew the lies in that respect? In verse 43, there's an amazing etiquette. Firstly, the verse is speaking about the Prophet because the Prophet used to accept their excuses. If the Munafiqin came and they gave excuses, as we'll see later on in the story of Ka'b ibn Malik and his companions, the Prophet would accept the excuses of the people that came from the hypocrites. If they said, we were ill, we were sick, we were poor, A, B, C, D, he would accept their excuses. And that's because our Sharia is based upon what is apparent, the rulings of what is apparent, understanding people's circumstances. So if people come and they say, and you have no reason to doubt their their truthfulness, you have no reason to think that they are lying or cheating you, 
you take them at face value and that is how the Islamic judicial system works it's the way that fatwa works when a person comes to a sheikh and says sheikh I can't fast in Ramadan I'm too ill I get headaches and the sheikh says to them okay then break your fast it's no skin off their nose it's the person who's making that excuse Allah knows best their intention and what is their reality and so that is how the religion is based the etiquette is as Suyuti rahimahullah ta'ala mentions that the pardon comes before Allah azza wa jal's correction Allah has pardoned you and then he proceeds to tell him what he should have done instead and that is from the beautiful etiquette of the way that we correct people because often we do the opposite we hit someone and we hit them and we hit them and then at the end we're like okay but I'll let you off right after you've completely destroyed them it is better to do it the other way say okay I've forgiven you and it's okay but I hope that you learnt your lesson or next time do this or do that and that is from the etiquette of correcting someone لا يستأذنك الذين يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر أن يجاهدوا بأموالهم وأنفسهم. Those who believe in Allah on the last day do not ask you to excuse them from doing jihad with their wealth and themselves by requesting you to allow them to stay behind. والله عليم بالمتقين. Allah knows the people who are God-fearing. إنما يستأذنك الذين لا يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر وارتابت قلوبهم فهم في ريبهم يترددون Only those who do not believe in Allah the last day ask you to excuse them for staying behind. Their hearts are full of doubt about the deen and in their doubt they waver to and fro in confusion. ولو أرادوا الخروج لأعدوا له عدة ولكن كره الله بعاتهم فثبطهم if they had really desired to go out with you, they would have made proper preparations in terms of equipment and provision for it. But Allah was averse to their setting out and did not will that they should do so. So he held them back and made them lazy. And they were told, stay behind with those who stay behind, meaning with the sick, women and children. This means that Allah decreed that. And Allah Azza wa is showing that there is no barakah in these people leaving. Had they left and accompanied the army, then it would have been worse. They would have done things to to upset the morale of the army and the morale of the companions and so on. So Allah Azza wa Jal wanted them to stay behind because of their evil. If they had gone out amongst you, they would have added nothing to you but confusion. Confusion, khabal, means corruption and consequent weakening of the Muslims. They would have scurried about amongst you, hurried back and forth among you, spreading slander and rumor, seeking to cause conflict, meaning enmity, between you. And among you, there are some who would have listened to them and accepted what they said. Allah knows the wrongdoers. لَقَدْ بِتَغَوُ الْفِتْنَةَ مِنْ قَبْلُ وَقَلَّبُوا لَكَ الْأُمُورَ حَتَّى جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَظَهَرَ أَمْرُ اللَّهِ وَهُمْ كَارِمُونَ They have already tried to cause conflict among you before when you first came to Medina and t- turned things completely upside down for you in an attempt to trick you and to invalidate your deen until the truth meaning victory came and Allah's command meaning his deen prevailed even though they, they detested it and they reluctantly entered the deen outwardly. Al-Imam ibn Kathir ta'ala, says concerning this verse because Allah Azza wa is saying or rather the, the, the commentator Al-Imam Siyuti is saying when they first came to Medina what is the conflict? Ibn Kathir says that when the Prophet first migrated to Medina because the Muslims are still relatively weak they're new in Medina they haven't settled they haven't established themselves 
that the munafiqeen were more open in their aggression and more open in their opposition. And they wouldn't even pretend to be Muslims, but they would openly try to take away the Muslims. Then in the second year of the Hijrah, after the Battle of Badr, now that the Muslims are victorious, and now that all of the Arabs are taking them seriously, that is when the hypocrites now try to openly show that they are Muslims whilst hiding their disbelief within. And that is what Allah is referring to. From the beginning, the change at the first year in, of, of the Medinan period, to the second year after the Battle of Badr, where now they have started to show outward Islam whilst hiding the reality of their disbelief inwardly. Among them are there some who say, give me permission to stay behind. Do not put temptation in my way. The man who said this was Al-Jad ibn Qais. The Prophet ﷺ asked him, can you fight the strong men of the Greeks? He replied, I am desirous of women and I fear that if I see the Greek women, I will not be able to refrain from them and so I will be tempted. Allah said, Had they not fallen into that very temptation by staying behind? How hems in the unbelievers and they cannot escape? I think that is, uh, yeah, how hems in. If good, meaning victory and beauty, happens to you, it goes them. وَإِن تُصِبَكَ مُصِيبَةٌ يَقُولُوا قَدْ أَخَذْنَا أَمْرَنَا مِنْ قَبْلُ وَيَتَوَلَّوَّهُمْ فَرِحُونَ If a mishap, meaning hardship, occurs to you, they say, We made our preparations in advance by resolving to stay behind, and they turn away rejoicing at your misfortune. قُلْ لَنْ يُصِيبَنَا إِلَّا مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَنَا Say to them, nothing can happen to us except what Allah has ordained for us. هُوَ مَوْلَانَا He is our master, our helper, and the one who has charge of our affairs. وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَلْيَتَوَكَّلِ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ It is in Allah that the believers should put their trust. So in verse 50, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, as is mentioned before in verses that have preceded, that this is the situation of the hypocrites. That when the Muslims are victorious and when they become sad and they're upset. And when the Muslims lose, they become happy. Which shows then, therefore, that the character of the Muslim is what? That they rejoice at the victory of the believers and they are saddened when calamity befalls them. Say, what do you await for us except for one of the two best things? Meaning victory or martyrdom? وَنَحْنُ نَتَرَبَّصُ بِكُمْ أَنْ يُصِيبَكُمُ اللَّهُ بِعَذَابٍ مِّنْ عِنْدِهِ أَوْ بِأَيْدِيْنَا But what we await for you is for Allah to inflict a punishment on you either directly from himself by a bolt from heaven or at our hands by giving us permission to fight you. فَتَرَبَّصُمُ إِنَّا مَعَكُمْ مُتَرَبِّصُونَ So wait, we are waiting with you for the outcomes which have been described. قُلْ أَنْفِقُوا طَوْعًا أَوْ كَرْهًا لَنْ يُتَقَبَّلَ مِنْكُمْ Say, whether you give an obedience to Allah readily or reluctantly, it, meaning what you spend, will not be accepted from you. إِنَّكُمْ كُنْتُمْ قَوْمًا فَاسِقِينَ You are people who are deviators. The imperative here has the meaning of a report. وَمَا مَنَعَهُمْ أَنْ تُقَبَلَ مِنْهُمْ نَفَقَاتُهُمْ إِلَّا أَنَّهُمْ كَفَرُوا بِاللَّهِ وَبِرَسُولِهِ Nothing prevents what they give from being accepted, read as tuqbala and yuqbala, from being accepted from them, but the fact that they have rejected Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَلَا يَأْتُونَ الصَّلَاةَ إِلَّا وَهُمْ كُسَالًا وَلَا يُنْفِقُونَ إِلَّا وَهُمْ كَارِهُونَ 
and that they only come to the prayers lethargically, reluctantly, as if it were a burden, and that they only give reluctantly, because they consider what they spend to be tantamount to attacks and imposition. Do not let their wealth and children impress you. Do not think that their blessings are good for them, letting that lead you into thinking they are all right. إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ بِهَا فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Allah merely wants to punish them by them through the difficulties involved in amassing their wealth and the misfortunes which occur to their children during their life in this world. وَتَزْهَقَ أَنفُسُهُمْ وَهُمْ كَافِرُونَ And for them to expire while they are unbelievers so that they will be punished in the worst way in the next world. وَيَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ إِنَّهُمْ لَمِنْكُمْ They swear by Allah that they are of your number, meaning that they are believers. وَمَا هُمْ مِنْكُمْ But they are not of your number. وَلَكِنَّهُمْ قَوْمٌ يَفْرَقُونَ They are people who are scared, afraid that you will deal with them like idolaters, and therefore they swear that out of dissimulation. لَوْ يَجِدُونَ مَلْجَأً أَوْ مَغَارَاتٍ أَوْ مُدَّخَلًا لَوَلَّوْا إِلَيْهِ وَهُمْ يَجْمَحُونَ if they could find a bolt hole, cave or burrow in which to take refuge, they would turn and scurry away into it. Meaning they would hurry into it and leave you without turning to anything, like a bolting horse. Among them, there are some who find fault with you concerning the distribution of the zakat. If they are given some of it, they are pleased. But if they are not given any, they are angry. In this verse 58, we mentioned before the hadith of Al-Bukhari Abdul Khuais who came to the Prophet and said, O oh Muhammad, be just in the way that you distribute this wealth. And the Prophet said to him, Woe to you, who will be just if I am unjust? I will be destroyed if I am unjust. And then Umar said, O Messenger of Allah shall not take off his neck. He said, No. But from his descendants or from his followers will be those who when you compare your ibadah, your worship to them, you will belittle your own worship. They will read the Quran, it will not go past beyond their throats, they will leave this religion the way the arrow leaves the bow. And this will be then the first remnant of the people that will be known as the Khawarij and the people who would rebel against the Khulafa and the companions of the Prophet. All of it coming from this type of nifaq and hypocrisy within their hearts. When they were given stuff from this world, from the wealth, they would be happy. And when they were not, they would become extremely upset and angry. وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ رَضُوا مَا آتَاهُمُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ If only they had been pleased with what Allah and His Messenger وسلم, had given them in terms of beauty and other things. وَقَالُوا حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ سَيُؤْتِينَ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَرَسُولُهُ And had said, Allah is enough for us. Allah will give us of His bounty, meaning beauty which will be enough for us, as will His Messenger إِنَّا إِلَى اللَّهِ رَاغِبُونَ it is to Allah that we make our plea to enrich us. That would be better for them. The word used here, sadaqat, means zakat. So, zakat is for and must be distributed to the poor, meaning those who do not have enough to cover their normal needs. The destitute, meaning those without anything at all. Those who collect it, meaning those who collect the zakat and distribute it, and the scribes who record it. Reconciling people's hearts to encourage them to become Muslim or to make their Islam firm. 
Also, that those like them become Muslim alternative groups from the Muslims. Although the first and last categories are not given today. According to Ash-Shafi'i, because of the strength of Islam, as opposed to the others, which can be given in the soundest view. Freeing slaves, those with a kitab, a contract, to fulfill in order to become free. Those in debt, meaning people who ask for help to pay debts, which have not been incurred in disobedience to Allah, or only after they have repented, and who do not have enough to settle them or to repair disputes, even if the people concerned are rich, spending in the way of Allah, meaning to enable those who do not have booty or, or undertake jihad, or do not have booty to undertake jihad, even if they are rich, and travelers, meaning those who are prevented from finishing their journey. It is a legal obligation from Allah. Allah is all-knowing of His creation, all-wise in what He does. It is not permitted to give zakat to people outside these categories or to, or to deny it to any of them, if the need exists. So the ruler should divide it among them equally. He can give them, he can give more to some categories. It is not an obligation to give zakat to someone with wealth when it is distributed if there is not very much of it. It is enough to give zakat to three people in each category, but not less than that, as the plural is used. The sunnah makes it clear that the recipients must be a Muslim who is not a descendant of Hashim or Abdul Muttalib. Verse number 60 of Surah At-Tawbah then goes into the very uh, detailed description of the recipients of zakat, the people that are eligible for zakat. And Allah Azza wa at the beginning mentions Al-Fuqara and Masakheen, the poor and the needy. And the scholars differ as to the difference between them. Some of them said it is the same thing. And some of them said that the faqir is the one who is poor but doesn't ask for people's help. Whereas the miskin is the one who poor, is poor and begs. And others from amongst them said, no, the faqir is worse than the miskin. The faqir is the one who cannot meet any of their basic needs. Whereas the miskin is the one who can meet some of their basic needs but not one of them. And Allah knows best, but there is clearly the difference between them because Allah marks them as two separate categories, otherwise there would be no need to mark them. And the opinion that says the faqir is worse than the miskeen is supported by the verse in Surah Al-Kahf about the people who own the ship. They are described as masakina ya'maluna fil bahar, as masakin, people who are needy, but they work, meaning they own a ship, so they have something, but it's not enough for them, and Allah knows best. And then he says concerning the people to reconcile people's hearts, meaning to bring them closer to Islam. And the opinion of Imam al-Shafi'i as, is as Siyuti rahimahullah says, and others from amongst the scholars say, all of those categories of the people whose hearts are reconciled are still eligible today. The freeing slaves, the kitab a contract. The kitab a contract is someone who is a slave in bondage, and they make an agreement with their master to buy their own freedom. So they will pay over the 10 years with their work and their labor. They will purchase their own freedom. That is what is being referred to. These are people who are eligible also to receive the zakat. He mentions an interesting point here and one that we often neglect. And that is that the four categories that are mentioned in this verse, Allah Azza wa Jal begins them with the lamb. لِلْفُقَرَاءِ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْعَامِلِينَ عَلَيْهَا وَالْمُؤَلَّفَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ And then the other three categories or four categories, Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَفِرْرِقَابِ so he separates them. And the lamb here, according to many of the scholars, is lamb with tamlik. That when you give it to these four, first four categories, they possess the wealth of zakah. Meaning that it is not the right of the person who gives the zakah to dictate how they spend that wealth of zakah. But it is the wealth that they take and they are entrusted to use it in the way that they must need. So to give, go to someone who is poor and say, look, this is a hundred pound of zakah, but you can only use it for food. You can only use it for to pay your bills. You can only use it to buy clothing. That's not your prerogative. 
you give it to them and it is for them to do as opposed to the last four in which you can say for example for the person who's traveling this is money to take you back home or the person who for example wants to buy their freedom this is money that you can only use to pay off your kitaba contract uh, and then he mentions a number of other issues again which come to the books of fiqh but the last point that he mentions is that it is not allowed for the descendants of the Prophet وسلم, Banu Hashim and Banu Abdul Muttalib to receive the zakah because of the hadith in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet said it is not befitting for us meaning the family of the Prophet because it is the filth of the people meaning that we give zakah to purify our wealth so it's as if it is something which is impure that we're doing to purify our wealth. The Prophet therefore called it an impurity that people give to purify their wealth and is not befitting for the family of the Prophet Among them, meaning the hypocrites, are some who insult the Prophet by criticizing him and reporting what he says saying when they were forbidden to do that so that it would not reach him he is only an ear who listens to everything said and accepts it if we were to swear that we had not said anything he would believe us say he is an ear of good for you hearing what is good about you but not what is evil believing in Allah and believing in the believers Believing what the believers tell him and not others. The lamb attached to believers is to make a distinction between the faith of submission and unbelief, and a mercy for those among you who believe. As for those who insult the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, they will have a painful punishment. They swear to you by Allah, meaning believers, about what has reached you about the insulting of the Messenger. That they did not do it in order to please him. But it would be more fitting for them to please Allah and His Messenger وسلم, by obedience if they really are believers. Do they not know that whoever opposes and splits from Allah and His Messenger وسلم, will have the repayment of the fire of hell, remaining in it timelessly forever? That is a great disgrace. The hypocrites are afraid that a surah may be sent down to the believers about them, informing them of what is in their hearts, meaning hypocrisy. But in spite of this, they continued their mockery. Say, as a threat to them, go on mocking. Allah will expose everything you are afraid of regarding your hypocrisy being brought to light. If you ask them about their mockery of you and the Quran while they are traveling with you to Tabuk, they will say to excuse themselves, we were only joking and playing around in conversation to pass the time on the way and did not mean anything. Would you make a mockery of Allah and of his signs and of his messenger? This verse in verse 65 is the incident that took place in the battle of Tabuk as they were traveling to Tabuk. Abdullah ibn Umar says that some of the hypocrites that did come out and were accompanying the army, they made a comment concerning the Muslims and they said, we've never seen 
an army like this before, lazy, fat, obese, and they started to make fun of them. And so this was given, taken back to the Prophet ﷺ, and as Allah says in the verse previous to this, in verse 64, they feared that Allah would expose them in the Qur'an, and this is the surah that exposes them in the Qur'an. And so Abdullah ibn Umar says that when these verses were revealed, and they heard that the Prophet ﷺ has heard what they said concerning the Muslims, they ran and they started to try to take the reins of the camel of the Prophet ﷺ and to try to make excuses, and to try to apologize, and the Prophet ﷺ ignored them. He ignored them sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Allah exposes them in this surah. Do not try to excuse yourselves for that. You have disbelieved after having believed. Your unbelief has become clear after you made a display of faith. We pardon where there's na'fu and also ya'fu, in which case Yu'fa. na'fu and yu'fa. In which case the meaning is if one group of you is pardoned, one group of you due to the sincerity and repentance, those like Jahsh ibn Himyar, we will punish another group, Radaz, Nu'adhib, and also Yu'adhib. Another group will be punished for being evildoers. They will be punished for persisting in hypocrisy and mockery. The men and women of the hypocrites are as bad as one another. They resemble one another in respect of the deen like parts of a single thing. They command what is wrong, meaning unbelief and acts of disobedience, and forbid what is right, meaning faith and obedience, and keep their fists tightly closed, not spending in obedience to Allah. They have forgotten Allah, so He has forgotten them and excluded them from His kindness. The hypocrites are deviators. Allah has promised the men and women of the hypocrites and the unbelievers and unbelievers the fire of hell, remaining in it timelessly forever. It will suffice them as a repayment and penalty. Allah has cursed them and put them far from His mercy. They shall have everlasting punishment. Like those hypocrites before you, who had greater strength than you and more wealth and children. فَاسْتَمْتَعُوا بِخَلَاقِهِمْ فَاسْتَمْتَعْتُمْ بِخَلَاقِكُمْ كَمَا اسْتَمْتَعَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ بِخَلَاقِهِمْ وَخُضْتُمْ كَالَّذِي خَاضُوا They enjoyed their portion of this world, so enjoy your portion, meaning hypocrites. And those before you enjoyed theirs. You have plunged into defamation, into falsehood, and attacking, attacking the Prophet وسلم, as they plunged into it. The actions of such people come to nothing in this world or the next world. They are the last. Has the news of those who came before them not reached them? The people of Nuh and Ad, the people of Hud and Thamud, meaning the people of Salih and the people of Ibrahim and the inhabitants of Madian, 
meaning the people of Shaib and the over ten cities, meaning the people of Rul. Their messengers brought them the clear signs, meaning miracles, but they denied them and so they were destroyed. Allah did not wrong them by punishing them for no reason. Rather, they wronged themselves by committing sins. The men and women of the believers are friends of one another. They command what is right and forbid what is wrong and establish the prayer and pay zakat and obey Allah and his messenger They are the people on whom Allah will have mercy Allah is almighty having the power to do anything and carrying out his promise and his threat all wise, only putting a thing in its proper place. Allah has promised the men and women of the believers gardens with rivers flowing under them, remaining in them timelessly forever, and fine dwellings in the gardens of Eden. And Allah's good pleasure is even greater than all these things which have been mentioned. That is a great victory. And so Allah shows us the clear and marked difference between the hypocrites and their behavior and therefore their punishment and the believers and their characteristics and therefore their reward. In verse 72 Allah says Allah And Allah's good pleasure is even greater. And in the hadith in Sahih Bukhari of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu that when the people of Jannah will enter into Jannah, Allah Azza wa Jal will ask the people of Jannah, are you satisfied? Are you pleased? And they will say, oh our Lord, how can we not be pleased? When you gave us everything that you gave us, you blessed us with everything that you blessed us with, Allah will say, shall I not give you something even greater than this? And they will say, oh Allah, what can possibly be better and greater than this? He, say, he will say, subhanahu wa ta'ala, I, give, I grant you my pleasure and I will never be angry with you. And that is from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them better than the na'im and the blessings of Jannah. So inshallah ta'ala we're going to stop here. Verse 72 of Surah At-Tawbah. Barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala nabiya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.